Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to do a writer's table. This is episode 26. Um, so, Jilly, how was mm. the butt sex? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if it's awful, if it's great, or what. Because the thing is, when I read sex lately, I don't want to read it. It's a thing. So, when I'm writing it, I don't want to write it. And so, I look back at it, and I go... Was that good or not? I can't tell. <laughs> she told me earlier. She says, okay, I'll be back for the podcast. I have 90 minutes to write so-and-so getting some dick in his ass. I did say that. I said that, uh, I said, uh, how exactly did I put it? He needs a dick in his ass one more time. I'm going to do that before the podcast. See you in 90. <laughs> so, wait, what has Sahara done? What has she done? Life goals. <laughs> No, Sahara, it's not. Um, you don't want to risk that because um, it has powdered milk in it, and if it's expired, uh, you don't want to mix. Um, you don't want to. I mean, if you, if you're talking about a pudding mix, um, instead of like prepared pudding, I mean, the expiration dates would be different, but still, I would not make something that had powdered milk in it if it has expired. Oh, I, oh no, honey, no. No, no, Mm-mm. no, <laughs> no actual pudding cups. <laughs> We're going to have to create a new, a new corner called contemplating life or life choices where you guys can go and have a think a nice, a nice time out and think about why you don't want to do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll even, we'll even send people in to talk you out of your poor life choices. <laughs> We'll have a list of volunteers for different subjects. Okay. Um, Tana says, uh, you've mentioned both plot documents and zero drafts multiple times throughout previous podcasts. How do they differ and what are your methods in crafting them when beginning a new project? Um, well, I used to actually call um, my plot document a plot document, a storyboard, but Jillian's pretty much convinced me that I was actually doing a zero draft, so I started calling it that. Um, but when it comes to the creation of my of my zero draft, um, a- after I've created my character profiles and tweaked them for the story that I'm going to write, uh, you know, and I'm thinking about pairings and my theme, and I've done some cloud plotting, which is usually done on paper, uh, I will um, sit down and write my zero draft. And my zero draft is point by point of my story. And to give an example. um, We do have some examples in the podcast link library. Do we? Um, Yeah, you have, there's some screenshots. They're not all that far up. They're one, two, they're, they're yours. They're of your zero draft. One, two, three, there's four screenshots. They're easy to spot because they're white. So just... And the date on them is the 5th of September. Yeah, that's, I was, uh, I showed you the first 12 plot points of Unleash Your Demons. And so, and for me, a plot point is, um, is an event that I want to include in my story. Do, and sometimes my zero draft, like, one of the reasons why I print my zero draft out is that when I'm writing, I will, um, mark things off, take things out, um, write on the back of pages, add plot points, um, add my thoughts about character emotion. Um, honestly, the the final product 
of Unleash Your Demons uh, <laughs> Zero Draft is a hot mess. You, I mean, you would not, it, it would not make any sense whatsoever to you guys. Well, that's, 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 that's proof of her engagement with the enemy. I mean, the writing process. Because it should. I mean, not many people write their, their plot document and it is unaltered by the end. I mean, I don't, I don't, act, well, I might, I might have went. And honestly, I mean, you know, I, I, I rarely encounter that. Because writing is such an organic process. It tends to make me think somebody's a little too rigid. But, you know, if they get a result that they like at the end, that's really all that matters. So, but I do think it's important for your creativity to let your, give yourself room to breathe. And giving yourself a super rigid structure that can't be altered. Um, yeah. It's weird. Um, I don't write as, I mean, I write the plot points out. But I don't do it. Kira gives them more. The reason why I think that the difference between what I do and what she does, her as her as edges more towards the zero draft, is because she gives emotional context and tone and talks about motivations and all that stuff. Whereas I write more of a the list of the list of things that have to happen in order for other things to happen. So it's um it's a lot more mine's more more stripped down than hers, but um from that side of it. Uh, I tend to also get really focused on timelines in a lot of stories. And every time I decide I'm not going to do a timeline, it bites me in the ass. Um, unless it's like 5,000 words, but you know, whatever. I, mean, I was working on something where I thought, Oh, I don't need a, I don't need a, um, a timeline for this. And then I realized I had set a big chunk of the story on Thanksgiving. And I went, people aren't in school on Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> um, so, there's a lot of different ways to plot. Um, we've had some links in the past about the different types of plotting styles. Some people write an abstract, like they're they're giving you a giant synopsis, right? It's just it's it's it's, it's kind of actually I've seen synopsis that are close to a zero draft, right? It, it's like ten or fifteen pages of mm -hmm. of, but it, it's not done in a kind of a plot point bulleted way. It's done more in a flowing narrative kind of way. It's like somebody trying to explain their vision, um, and it's just important to do what works for you more than but if you don't have something that works for you and you want to try and you want to plot or you want to do better it is certainly worth um trying different styles uh trying different ways trying you know if if full-on storyboarding and zero drafting a story is too much detail for you it, storyboarding is way too much detail for me i if i storyboard like i do a scene map i have told the story i'm not interested in writing it I could probably do the level of zero drafting that Kira does and still be into the story, depending upon... Because some stories, actually, the more complicated it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have... The more you need. I have... The, the amount of notes and stuff I have for Slytherin Black is, like, dizzying. Um, so, it just all depends on what you're, what you're doing. I mean, some stories I have written have been one page of notes because it, to me, the plot was really straightforward. It's like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But then my character profile sheets are longer and my timeline is ridiculous. And um, my world building notes sometimes way outstrip my plot, plot notes. So I try to let my process be flexible to fit what I'm trying to write so that I can take different types of projects and work with them. And, and sometimes I flop. Sometimes my approach fails miserably. Like I decided not to write with a timeline or, um, you know, I don't work out certain details ahead of time or I think, oh, I'll, I'll figure that out when I get there. And I go, that was a bad idea. Like 
Yeah, whenever I have that moment where I, I say to myself, I'll figure it out later, I stop and say, no, you won't. You're going to figure it out right now because uh, it it always, it always comes back to bite me in the ass. It's always like this big, epic, ridiculous thing. I get stalled out because the last thing I want to do is stop in the middle of writing to do a whole bunch of research. When I wrote The Hospitality of Hobbits, I put the majority of the stuff that was related to research about Middle Earth in the I'll take care of it when I get there, but bucket. So what happened was... <laughs> It was the most stop and start writing I've ever done. I would write three or four words and have to stop. I'd write a sentence and stop. Another sentence and stop. I mean, I got there was a point where I was grateful to get a paragraph written without having to stop and look something up. It was I was so frustrated that that was a choice I made, that all of this stuff related to you know, Middle Earth that was in my 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 bucket of do later because normally I can crank out 5,000 words a day during challenge without a problem, okay? I've done as much as, I think the most I ever did on Rough Trade in a single day was like thirteen or 14,000 words. That was a lot. I mean, I didn't do anything else that day, but right. But there was that first two days of working on that story, it was taking me all day to write like 2,000 words. Like, all day. It was It was maddening. So... You know, but you learn, right? <laughs> you learn. So it, I learned. I learned something about myself in that process, and what absolutely did not work. Um, Love a bitch. It's man down. It was a great down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did we answer all of it? Oh, I deleted it. Okay, I think so. Um, <laughs> she's saying that we did great. Uh, I, I'll not do that again. <laughs> But I wish I could, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the app, so I can't really run a browser and do a bunch of searching, but Chuck Wendig put out an article a few years ago, I want to say like in 2015 or 2016, like right before Nano, man, maybe 2016 or 2017, and he had a great list of the different types of plotting styles and what, you know, what, what they were comprised of and something I could do the mix, he, like one of them was called the beat sheet, and it was just all this different, and it, it was actually a really good article about, you know, how to calm down about the idea of plotting and why you need to do something kind of, you need to have some kind of idea. And it had the very stripped down version all the way to um, the really detailed stuff. So if anybody could hunt that article down and link it in the chat, um, I will put it in the link library. Um, it's just, it's, oh, did you? I think I did. That might be it. Is that it? It's from 2011, so if he's done one later, oh, there, the, this is this is one of just the styles of plotting. There's a, yeah, there's one later that he did that was. Um, he did one in 2016 called Where to Start. It. That might be it, but that. And one called How to Outline Your Novel: The Options. That was in 2015. It's the one where he tells people to unclench. Um, um, it's unsealed on buttocks. Unsealed by buttocks. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the one that I just posted. The um, how to outline your novel. The options. Yeah. Okay, that's the one. It's when he tells people to unseal by buttocks. I laugh my ass off because he he basically tells you to like calm the fuck down about plotting 
And then here are some ways you can try plotting. And it's just, it's an exceptional article if you are new to plotting. Actually, if you're, if you're an experienced plotter, I think you could still get something out of what he wrote. Um, and if you don't follow Chuck, I actually highly recommend that you do because, um, in a, you know, beyond the stuff that he, he writes, he blogs about a lot of stuff, but his stuff on craft is on point. He's exceptional. So, um, if you don't read his work, that's I'm not trying to get you to read Chuck. I'm just saying he's an exceptional blogger and, and he's exceptional about sharing his his knowledge and his his skill with other writers and helping them be better. So he is funny as fuck. He's he will definitely make you laugh. So I think that what she said earlier about knowing your process and figuring out what works for you is the single best piece of advice you can get as far as story planning goes. Um, if a large plot pr process is uninspiring for you, then you you absolutely do not want to do it. If you don't need, if you need to have 1000% freedom when you sit down to a blank document in order to be productive, then obviously plotting is not for you. As horrifying as that is. I'm just playing. A lot of people talk about me saying that I'm I'm mean to pantsers. My best friend's a pantser. I'm not mean to her. I but I do find I oh, kiss my butt, Lady Holder. Um, I do find um that um even when I have claimed to pants, I did not actually pants. Because um having had somebody tell me what their pantsing looks like more than one somebody. I, I'm honestly horrified <laughs> because what I thought was pantsing probably isn't actually pantsing. Well, I think someone who's naturally a plotter um, is going to always plot in their head. Even if they start with nothing, they're going to be eventually race ahead and have that plot. It's just the way it's going to go. They're not going to, they're not going to be capable of not doing that, not making decisions. The only way to really pants for a plotter, I think, is in something horrible, really horrifying like a round robin, um, where you don't know what you're about to get. <laughs> That's really the only way. It's like, oh, my God, i got to make some of the fly. But when it comes to plotting, there are always exceptions, plotting, plotting and pantsing. Um, there are always exceptions to everything. But the thing is, is most people who are very successful – and again, I say most people who are very successful at pantsing don't write long stories. And when they do, a lot of times the pantsing bites them in the ass in really unfortunate ways. I'm talking to you, J.K. Rowling. Um, because every, you've got, you've got, you put books six and seven out there and everybody knows you've got these giant plot holes that you can't fix because they're pantsed in. Anyway, these not only such plot holes, but inconsistencies. Deep, deep inconsistencies. But it birthed the fandom, an enormous, the biggest fandom ever. So, you know, whatever. Those, those inconsistencies are going to keep fandom moving. But, it, but the thing is, most pantsers I've worked with, if they want to move beyond short story craft, they have to do some level of planning. I'm not going to call it plotting, okay? I'm going to say planning. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to most of them are not going to be able to get to the end without massive issues. It's like, apparently I am horrible for not getting you chocolate pudding. Thank you. You're welcome, Barry White.
Um, so <laughs> at some point you got to know where you're going, right? We've talked about this before. And if that's all you define is the theme of your story and what you're trying to accomplish, that may be all you need, but to go into something novel length without that is setting yourself up to fail. Now you may not, I'm not saying you're going to fail, but it is setting yourself up to fail. You gotta know where you're going. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I have a good friend who's a pantser and she has so many stories that are about 10, 20 K in that just fizzle. Cause she has no idea where to go with it. And for her, it, it's very unsatisfying that she never finishes anything, but she also doesn't want to change the way she writes. So we hit an impasse. Like I can't talk to you about this anymore <laughs> because if you aren't willing to come up with some kind of plan for these stories, I, uh, she's waiting for her. She's waiting for her muse. What? Earlier, er, yeah. Earlier, we were talking um, about an author, and um, this particular author, uh, there's a glimmer in her work that I find interesting, and yet her craft is stagnant. And I'm not going to name names because um, that would be ugly and unfair. But when I go into a project, I it, I want to learn. I want to explore and grow as a writer. I want my next project to be better than the last, you know, I, but when I see an author stagnating, um, with a huge body of work and there's no improvement, it's so disheartening. I am wondering, Jillian, if there is a hole in your wind guard. I don't have a wind guard. I don't, or your windscreen. I don't, I don't have a, it's little, a different kind of mic. Oh. It's supposed to not have those issues, but, um, Mm. I see I'm not seeing anything triggering the voice sensitivity but I'm going to change the voice sensitivity up a little bit see if it'll help filter out that okay No, but it is almost like wind is hitting your mic like not every time but just like you know kind of like little like yeah do you hear hold that just, hold on just a second I I like that. that better yeah it is better what'd you do I have an air filter running and I turned it off but it's not it's, I think it was just the, I think it was like oh. a background hum because it just wasn't, it wasn't, air filters don't like blow air like that. So that's my best guess. Huh. It's the only thing in here that's making sounds at this point. Weird. So I'm not, I would never, I mean, I had somebody I talked to one day that thought, you know, like we're trying to talk people out of pantsing. Not at all. That, not, no. But I do think that completely unstructured pantsing is a recipe for not finishing. That's just my opinion. You don't have to take it on board. But we've all seen that one million word fic that has no end in sight or that's had like 10 different endings and you keep waiting for the real one. You, you can be a pantser and still have a direction. You can be a pantser and still rein yourself in and not, and then yourself to death. You can be a pantser and th these things are not mutually exclusive. So I'm never going to be a big fan of completely undisciplined writing. Um, which is what that sounds like to me. I don't want to plan anything. I don't want to make any decisions. I want to throw everything in the kitchen sink into my story if I want to. I'll figure out what I'm going to do with it later. Not a fan. I mean, and also, I think in your mind, you need to separate the, the, the ideas of a plan versus a plot. Because a plan isn't a plot. A plot is a lot more involved in that. But knowing where you want to go, knowing where you want your characters to be at the end is a plan. How you're going to get there is a plot. So, 
I just, I find it off-putting. And the thing is, I do talk to people a lot. And I don't mind working with panthers. I don't mind plotting stories with panthers. Or, like, a panther gets so far and they need help kind of figuring out how to make something work. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind helping. I have a lot of friends who are panthers. We talk about craft. I don't talk about craft with people who pants in that way. Because it's just frustrating for me. Because it's always the same problem. Oh, I put all these 50 things in my story. I don't know what to do with it. And I've, I've written myself into a corner and I go, I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> Take all that shit Why out. Why is all that shit in there? <laughs> what, what? You could keep 10 of those what things. What were you planning on Take doing Take out the rest. No, oh, I didn't know. I just thought it would be cool. Well, it's not. It's, it's not cool. It's, it's red herring. It's going nowhere. But it's already posted. Vanity and ego. So anyway, so I mean, I'm not, I'm not down on pantsing at all. I think it's, I think it's people who write that way. I, I think they have a very organic, very creative process, but the most successful pantsers have some structure and they give themselves limits. And if they don't, I don't think they usually succeed very well. Not outside of short stories. I can pay, I can pants a short story at the best of them, but you know, no, whatever. So please don't, please, please don't. Please don't, email me, please don't email me about how I hate pantsers because I don't. I, I spend a lot of time talking to pantsers and I'm not trying to convert them. I'm not like, you know, the Jehovah's Witness of plotters or something. I'm out there trying to make people plot. <laughs> Speaking of Jehovah's Witnesses, one came to my house the other day, rings the doorbell. I get up. This woman did not even give me a proper pamphlet. She's out there on my porch with her iPad. That's disappointing. And I said, I'm a day sleeper. Uh, and she says, oh, well, we'll put it in our database. In your fucking database? I don't database? want to be in your database database because I don't want you coming around at night. I just closed the door. I was like, I am... Uh, what is the world coming to? I, I didn't even get a Jesus pamphlet did, out of it. Not that I wanted one. I would have just recycled it. I didn't it, even get a Jesus pamphlet the point. out of it. <laughs> she didn't even have proper pamphlets. How can you go door to door with a fucking iPad? Regar okay. Uh, that was that was a tangent. I apologize. Not really. I got drive by stranger cookies one day that had like a tag for like I think I think it was a local Mormon church, but it might have been Jehovah's Witness. I was like, it's just these it's just this like three cookies on a little paper plate and it was wrapped in saran wrap with a card, right? I was like and it's sitting on my porch, right? And I was like, Who eats drive by no. stranger cookies? <laughs> I don't think so. Dudes. Probably Men. I, I, that, I didn't Men. want to bring it in the house to throw it away. It's like, what the fuck is this? Don't ever eat stranger cookies. Somebody leaves you an anonymous cookie, don't eat it. That's just not a good idea. Okay, so next question. Um, or did you want to talk more about plotty, plotty, plotty pantsing? Mm, not that I, I, I think we're good. Just don't be afraid of structure. It's your friend. And knowing the elements of a novel and the novel construction is, is not going to hurt you. No, it really won't. <laughs> I mean, no one's asking you to sit down if you're a pantser. Literally, nobody is asking you to sit down and decide if you're going to use like a three-act narrative structure or a five, or are you going to be doing, um, you know, nobody's asking you for that kind of plan. Nobody's asking you to list all your thematic elements. It's just, just know where you're going, you know. Let's not go on a road trip when you get in the car, you know. Are we headed east or west? It's an important decision. <laughs> If the end goal is Disneyland, that's useful to know. Anyway, um, that is a, that one's a, that's complicated. Um, should we take a couple easy ones and then hit, hit, 
hit the how to break up a novel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we got multiples so. in, in this one. So let's start. How do you keep from accidentally creating a Mary Sue, Marty Stu, even after giving them realistic flaws and goals and stuff? When writing... Uh, okay, so that's um, that's the first question. So here's the thing about that. What makes a Mary Sue isn't their own perfection. It's how other characters respond to them. So if you give a character a really ugly flaw, but everybody around them thinks it's adorable, then you haven't created a flaw for your character. So if you have a character, you've you, you had an original character, you've moved them into your story. Um, they're three-dimensional, got it all going on. They behave supremely inappropriately and none of your characters respond negatively to it then you have created a situation where your where your original character is a mary sue yeah because they have to be their perfection is is measured by how people around them are but it's also the it also is the function that a mary sue fulfills in the story and that is to solve all the problems so you could have a perfect character or a character that people think are, is perfect who is sitting on the side like like the most adorably sweet baby in the world that everybody thinks is perfect and brings sunshine and cheer into every scene they're in if they're not solving all the problems in the story they're not a mary sue so a mary sue solves everything just with a flip of her hair right that's what a mary sue's function is and everybody wants right. to everybody have sex wants- with her and all the men and, and all the women you know so a mary sue's function is to be a the center of attention and B, to solve all the problems. And they are perfect in the sense of how people react to them. Not necessarily literally perfect, but perfect, as Tara said, in how, in, in they're perfect in function. So if, if your character has a bazillion flaws, even if they're hated, right? If they're solving all the problems, you have created a Mary Sue. And the thing is, there could be an application for that, actually. It's just, but you need to do it deliberately. And and actually, I think if you do it well, people won't even notice that you just stuck a Mary Sue in your story. For instance, let's say you're writing a series, let's say with Tony Dinozo, because why not? And it's a series of episodes where he's got this badass therapist who really works really well with him. And he goes and he has a conversation with her. And it's the short conversation. You see a part of the session at the beginning of every episode. And then you see the ripples of how his time with his therapist is affecting his life. She's a fucking Mary Sue. Uh, yeah but i'm not mad (laughs) so it could be people wouldn't even notice it right that you've basically put a mary sue in the story because she is tony is she's just she's the catalyst for his change as opposed to the person who's actually fixing everything so i think if you want to not make a mary sue if you don't want the character to come across that way if that's your goal if you if you don't want to create the mary sue just make sure that they're not fixing everything it's sort of like I read something. Somebody wanted me to read something where they created an OC. Okay, an OCs in fandom work. Okay, so I'll come back to that. OCs in fandom work are a tricky thing. Um, and people tend to jump the gun on the Mary Sue train with an OC because usually people are reading fan fiction because they want to read about fandom characters. So if your f- OC is the central focal point of the story, people immediately jumped on the Mary Sue train or the self-insert train, even if it's not true. Okay, but it kind of because it kind of doesn't matter because it's sort of like well this feels to the it feels to them and they don't have any other way of explaining what the issue is 
It feels to them like it is defeating the purpose of fanfiction, which is to write about fandom characters. So a central OC, very central, it can be difficult, and you have to handle it deftly. Um, in terms of the main character being Mary Sue, that's where you get into the semantics. Technically, a canon character cannot be a Mary Sue. Technically. But some characters, some canon characters, are written by those by the by the author like a Mary Sue. They are perfect. Everything they do wrong is adorable, or people love it, or it or it works for them. They fuck up a spell and it saves the world. Um and then and then and then the, and then they solve all the problems. So if you don't want the character to come across that way. I mean, if it's the main character, it's probably not actually all that big a deal. I kind of marry Sue Tony a little bit. I still try to make try to give him flaws, but here, here's the here's the thing though. Even if you work very, 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 very hard to make sure your character is not a Mary Sue, some asshole is going to come along and call your character a Mary Sue because you cannot shape the opinions of your readers completely. You can make them hate characters and love characters based on what you do with them in um, in action. Because, you know, reading Darkly Loyal, I mean, some of you outright cheered when I killed traditionally really like good characters from Harry Potter. You were excited and thrilled by it. <laughs> it's okay. It's perfectly fine. So you can shape you know, reader opinion that way. But when it comes to, like, original characters, you cannot determine what they get out of the character. And if you're going with a central original character, you're going to have to expect that some readers are going to react negatively to it. And just, it doesn't matter what you do with that character, you're going to get the self-insert of the Mary Sue accusation and just psych yourself up for it. Because, honestly, it is, to me, it's a problematic enterprise to, to center a story in fandom around an OC. It's, if they are the main character. And, you know, I was talking to somebody a few, actually a couple months ago. It was a little further back than I thought there for a second. It was a couple months ago. And they were very frustrated with a story and the reception it had gotten. But, the, you know, the fandom was one where there were like two or three beloved characters. And those characters were pushed to the side and, and there was an OC in, in running the show, in the story. Um, I wasn't surprised. I didn't feel like the character actually read like a Mary Sue when I read of it, but I wasn't surprised by the reaction. People felt that because most people don't go to fan fiction to read about unfamiliar characters. They'd buy a book. That said, I write OCs all the time, even OCs that are one of the main characters, but I've never written an OC as the main character. So you just have to, you decide what you want to do. And when you, if you want to write a story, if you want to write, uh, uh, an NCIS story from the perspective where your main character is a new agent on the team. I mean, go all in. Go for it. Have fun with that. But be prepared that people are going to... You cannot... Nothing you're going to do, absolutely nothing you're going to do. If that's the type of story you're telling, absolutely not a single thing you can do, not a single piece of character work you can plan for is going to stop the accusation of Mary Sue or self-insert. It is just going to happen. It's sort of like writing a BDSM story, it doesn't matter how you handle the approach to topic, somebody's going to be offended and tell you you're going to hell. So, And tell you that you're writing domestic violence and you're glorifying it. And Right. So you just got to be prepared when you write certain things that you're going to get a certain reaction. 
that's just the way it, that's just the way it is. And it, you can do the best you can do the best you can with your craft and then psych yourself up for it. That's just, that's all I can say about it. Yeah. And I mean, I do kind of marry Sue Tony a little bit, but the thing is I actually started just saying that more be, just to own the fact that people were accusing me of it. Um, but I actually do think I write him with flaws. I don't think he solves every problem. I think he often needs help. So I don't feel like in any way that I write him that he fits the definition of a Mary Sue. But I will certainly own that I super soup him up as much as possible. Write what makes you happy and fuck the rest. If they don't like it, they don't gotta read it. If I want to write Tony as Superman's answer to, I mean, Marvel's answer to Superman, I'm totally gonna do it. And I don't care if somebody thinks that, oh, you're writing Super Tony again. Yeah, shut up. Suck my dick. Yes, tree Tony. Um, okay, so what was the next question in that group? Um, when writing in fandom, or even a novel, I assume that means an original novel, um, should you always introduce the main characters by full name? Or should you assume that in a big fandom, people know the character names of the non-OCs? Novel might be different. Always use their name. When you, when, when you have a character entering a scene that has not appeared in your work, in this new work, in this individual work, use their name. This just it in fandom, people are gonna know who you're talking about, right? But that's a terrible habit to have as a writer. To not fully introduce your character coming into a story is just a really terribly bad habit. But I would say full name meaning first and last name. Um introdu- introducing all your characters with full right. full names is clunky. Um I'm pretty sure I've gotten a little bit lazy about this, but I don't know if it's lazy or more a function of the fact that sometimes we're really deep POV. It's sometimes a little hard to get your POV character's last name in there. But I still try. I still try to make sure I get people's names in. But yeah, it, it, it's... I, I, I don't think the answer is different between original work and fan fiction, but definitely, definitely an original work. Never assume your reader knows anything. Yeah. So I've got readers who flip over from Harry Potter to Stargate and have never watched a single episode of Stargate. Yeah. They read it like original work, and if I hadn't been doing my job in introducing these characters to these readers, they would have no idea what the fuck's going on. Which means I'm not telling a complete story. Now, in whatever it takes, um, I did withhold one character's first name, but it was, like, on purpose. <laughs> right. It was part of the, you know, the hook, so... It was part of the entertainment value in that, that I was withholding his name. But I made I mean, I, I, you know, basically was said that I was withholding his name. So it wasn't like it was a shock. Um, okay, next question. So I think we're done with that one. So I'm going to delete it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you do need to make deliberate choices in your narrative, in, um, in the story overall. That's how you manage your ripples and how you manage your plot, whether you are a plotter or a pantser, making very deliberate specific choices and following those choices through okay so the next question is i know a lot of writers seem to be able to work on more than one story at a time but what do you do when you have trouble focusing to get just one done um i think i think the number of writers who actually actively are working on multiple works at a time are perhaps smaller than it might seem because i think what it looks like when you have a writer like a whip writer who is posting they got like 15 whips and you never know which one is going to land i tend to think that a lot of times they're not actively folk writing on all those stories at once 
that they're really just working on one of them and then when they kind of lose focus on it and the reason i think that is because typically when you're actively working on a project you don't lose track of your details and when you see writers who are posting on multiple works in progress who are losing track of their details it could be they, they literally are working on too many things at once but it could be this they set that story aside for two months and then they picked it up and they just didn't even bother to reread their own work so anyway that's kind of not the question that is what i do when i'm working on multiple projects at once um if i give something a two or three day break and i go back to it i mm -hmm. i reread what i wrote whether it's 10k or 100k sometimes if it's really long i might not reread the whole thing but I, when i well, if i'm working on something long and i'm gonna take a break from it like nano comes around and sets something aside or whatever i will leave myself notes about what the fuck i'm doing and i have a plot document so but tip right yeah and that takes but if you're a but, but but if you're a pantser i think you need to read from the very beginning if you've given it more yeah. than a week so um so focusing techniques so i think the question here is really about focusing techniques um is how do, how do you get one story done um it the answer is not a straight i don't think it's a straightforward answer because it depends upon exactly what's between you and getting the story finished is it that you have a hard time focusing is it that you've lost interest in the story is it that you don't know what it is where you're going and you're not sure what to do i mean there's there's a lot of different reasons why someone might be having a hard time getting just one story done but are you tired are you working too much is your environment noisy yeah i mean there's a lot of things that can get between you but let's say all things being equal that it's just a matter of focusing to get the story done there's a couple of things that i think can, can contribute to just it's sort of like an ennui kind of thing when you're working on a story um falling action can be very hard to write sometimes for some authors um some types of scenes can be very hard for some authors to get through like they'll be doing really really well and then they hit the action scene and they fizzle battle of the five armies anybody um <laughs> I literally would poke nobody but Kira, okay? I would poke nobody but Kira. It is a terrible it place is. to be. To be at the end. It's a, to, uh, why did I think that was Especially a good idea? Especially you like writing action. Um, and it's your climax. So, I mean, I mean, I would imagine for Kira, this is a really difficult position to be in. You know, I'm projecting here. Because she usually... It is a very... Yes, that's why Small Magic is still on EAD. Yes. So... <laughs> <laughs> she writes she writes the climax really well and usually the thing she doesn't really care for writing as much as the falling action but she put her the least the, the type of scene she least likes to write in her climax right action so it's like what she most wants to write and what she least wants to write all in one and who wants to conflate the things they most and least least like it's it's, it's terrible so um but when you have that kind of situation where maybe you're stalled out on a sex scene if you're stalled out on a sex scene Unless it's for something like a pro work where you have to write it, don't write the sex scene. Okay, that's always my advice with sex scenes. People look like I'm stalled out. I don't want to write sex. Don't write sex. We need to stop putting the expectation on writers that there needs to be a sex scene. Okay, so and if you're doing it just for reader for reads because the sh the, sh the ship stories get more more reads, you can have the ship and not have the sex. But I've also read stories where I just felt like the pairing made like it was so incidental. It's like why is this even here? Um. I don't think we should be afraid. To, I don't think we Man, should be afraid I, to embrace Genfic, you know. Well, Tony doesn't be delayed, but he can delay also, story. also, you don't, you don't need yeah. a whole bunch of sex. I mean, and, and this is me saying this. I mean, I'm actually pretty well known in fandom for the pornography that I write. 
But I, I was reading a story in the Hannibal fandom, and I thought, oh my god, if there is one more fucking sex scene in this fucking story, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. It's too much. But some of the best stories I've read have no sex in them. So, you know, there doesn't have to be... It can be a fade to black. It can be they're just starting their relationship. So, when it comes to what is stalling you out, if it's sex, don't write it. Or if you really want to write it, but you're not in the mood, sex is something that's one of the few things that I could, would say put a placeholder and come back to it. And move on. Because if the only thing standing between you and finishing the story is that sex scene you didn't finish, you'll either decide to go ahead and leave it out, or you'll buckle down and get that sex scene written. One or the other. And either way, your story's done. So either skip it, or just don't do it. So Well, there did come a point in the story where I was like, there is absolutely no way those two dudes are still coming. I mean, because, you know what, ladies? The male body can only produce so much actual semen in a 24-hour period. And there will come a point when the well goes yeah. dry. I mean, assuming you've got a guy who can continue to orgasm, yeah, dry orgasm is what's going to happen. Eventually, there's going to be reduction and then nothing. I mean, 10, 15 times in a single day is oh, unrealistic. Oh, come on. <laughs> and also, if... Somebody, you know, even five times in a single day is is mu is a little much for a man over forty. I'm talking to you, Hannibal fandom. But if that four or five times happened on Saturday, he's doing jack shit on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't all anal, but yeah, and that's and and that's also an issue as well. I mean, um, there's just so many times that that field can be plowed in a in a, in a two or three day period. And that goes for the vagina as well. I see you. <laughs> um, neither are... Um, uh, there would be... During regular intercourse, uh, there will be micro tears in the vagina. Which is why, if you have a very vigorous sex act um, with a large penis, you're going to have some difficult time sitting. You will also have a little startling experience when you pee. <laughs> <laughs> and... So, it because it'll burn. Urine will burn if you have tearing around the opening of your vagina because of, um, from, from sexual intercourse. And uh, after like, the second or third time, vaginal intercourse um, in, a, in just a couple of hours, that's going to start to be more painful. Now, I'm saying this is a masochist. This is going to be more painful than it is pleasurable. And also, it's going to get a little dry. So you need to get out the lube. <laughs> yeah, all the lube. And sometimes there's a come to point where even lube isn't going to do it. You just got to stop. You just sometimes you just got to stop. It's like no more sex. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I'm done. You ever been? You ever been having sex with somebody and you're thinking to yourself, "Oh my god, would you please just come? I am so done. I've been done for thirty minutes." Mm. <laughs> I had a friend, roommate. Her boyfriend, he'd go for hours, and she'd be like how do I tell him that I'm really bored and it's kind of making me sore? I'm like, just tell him you're really bored. It's making me sore. Oh, I said, or maybe skip. I said, or maybe you want to be <laughs> polite about it. Skip the bored part. Tell him it's making you sore and you need him to get off sooner. It's like, he just really likes to fuck for a really long time. I said, get him a flashlight. He doesn't need you for that. I mean, what was the question that led us down to, Oh, the, the stuff you're stuck on. Um, if you're stuck on, if you're stuck on sex, don't write sex. If you're just having a struggle with focusing, give yourself smaller windows to focus in. Meaning, this is where sprints are really good. You don't have to log in and do the sprint. You can just say, I am going to write for 15 minutes. And if it's 500 words, great. If it's five words, 15 minutes. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to sit here with this pen for 15. You can do anything for 15 minutes, folks. Well, maybe not anything. But <laughs> I was like, well. 
<laughs> I mean, you could, but it would I mean, I could, be uncomfortable. I could write a magic wand for 15 minutes. I'd get sore. Um, right? So, but when it comes to writing, you can plot for 15 minutes or plan if you're a pantser. You can do anything in, in the writing spectrum. You can research. You can give yourself a, a window. Go, okay, I'm having a hard time getting this done, and I need to get it done. So I'm going to work on it for 15 minutes, and I'm going to see what happens. And just sit down and do it. I mean, this is the action precedes motivation thing. If you're trying to find motivation to write without sitting down to write, it's never going to happen. You need to stick, stick your butt down with your notebook or with your computer or whatever and do it. And the more you do, the more you will be motivated to do. That's the cycle. But you have to start with action. You have to do something first. So give yourself, and if it works, then give yourself a break. Say, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes and then I'm going to watch YouTube videos for two hours because I did my 15 minutes of writing. And then do 15 more minutes. Maybe do 15 minutes in the morning, 15 night. Find something that works for you where you can squeeze in writing in a tiny block and just stay on task. If you make yourself stay on task for 15 minutes, then start there and see what happens. And that's just if it's only a focus problem. I mean, if it's an environmental problem, you might want to look at sleep hygiene technique and apply that to your writing. Like they tell you, if you have poor sleeping ability, not to have anything electronic in your bedroom, not to bring your phone into your bedroom, not to play games in, on your phone in bed, not to have a TV in your bedroom, stuff like that, right? Don't bring your laptop to bed with you. Don't bring a book. Don't bring your Kindle. And these are sleep hygiene techniques to, you know, to turn your bed into a place where you sleep or fuck. Um, so turn a spot into your house into a place where you only write. You don't do anything else there. All your writing activities take place in this spot. And if you're someone who rat holes on um, looking stuff up, like let's say there's a minor point of like you need to know how long I'm, I'm making. I'm yes, I'm trolling myself. But let's say you need to know how long it takes an elevator to go 80 floors in a high rise, a modern high rise. You don't actually for and it's for one line of dialogue. So and so will be here in one minute. You don't actually need to stop and look that up right then. You can put a little note to fill in the, that piece of information later. Let's say you forgot to name an OC who only appears once on your screen. You don't have to stop and go to name generator right then. You can just put name in brackets, right? So if you're someone who is, if you can do it and get back to your writing immediately, like look it up and get right back to writing, that's not a problem. But if you're someone, there are people who you give them a tiny excuse to be distracted and they're gone for three hours and they've rat holed and they've looked up, they've got 50 tabs open and they've watched 50 YouTube videos and, and then their writing window is gone. So if you're that person, this will be part of your writing hygiene. Is don't give yourself that option. Close all your browsers. Turn your Wi-Fi off. You know, don't have your phone sitting by you. Make yourself keep going. And, and you've got to figure out what it is about your writing that isn't working for you. And then create the writing hygiene that addresses those problems. I do think it's important to limit your research time. Especially if you're someone who can go down a hole. If you can go down a hole for two hours, no. Give yourself 10 minutes to find something. Set a timer. Set it aside. Go back to your writing. It'll motivate you. because If you've only got 10 minutes to do it, you're going to spend those 10 minutes well. You're not going to meander onto YouTube and watch two hours of somebody building a house in Sims 4. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you've got to be careful <laughs> about what you allow to intrude on your writing time. And Now, world building is different, but you have to even limit yourself with world building, right? You have to rein yourself in because if you're trying to plot for a project that you need to do some world building, I mean, you have to figure out what's a reasonable amount of time to spend on the world building. You've got a month between now and when you have to start writing or you've got two weeks or whatever. You can't spend 
you know, a month when you got two weeks. So you got to, you got to give yourself some limits. And part of the issue is sometimes I think there are some people who don't want to give give themselves any boundaries. They don't want to put any limits on themselves. They don't want to rein themselves in. They don't want any kind of writing discipline. They, at, there is no advice anybody can give you who is going to help you if that's the style of writing you want. We are not talking to you. Right. We're probably honestly never talking to you. It's not personal. Well, it's not us. It's you. Right. It is. Because <laughs> this, this is basically what the conversation goes like when I talk with people like this is, I'm frustrated by my writing, but I don't want to change anything. What is the point in the conversation we're having? The person who has an answer for why they cannot implement any change in their writing style is the per not somebody I'm talking to. If you're frustrated and you're not getting where you want to be, clearly something needs to change. But then you say, I don't want to change anything. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, Princess and the Pea or Goldilocks, whichever, mixing my metaphors. Um, yeah, Queenie, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. That's exactly it. So if you're not willing to change anything, um, yeah. Good luck. But there are things that can put people off, right? That make it harder. You know, are you, is it too noisy, like Kira said? You, figure out what in your writing isn't working and then develop a discipline. People hate the word discipline, but I don't know why. They develop a discipline around giving yourself a better environment to write in. And sometimes a better environment to write in means giving yourself some limits. And sometimes it... But if you're one of those people that says, oh, well, limits will ruin my creativity and my muse will go on vacation and I'll never write again, we are most definitely not talking to your ass. Again, in terms of why, what to do, how to get past, or how to get one project finished, sometimes the answer is as simple as sit down and do it. But if there's something more complicated than just, I talked to, I talked to some podcast once, so I had a friend who was very frustrated that she hadn't, she hadn't written anything in like a year. And I asked her, well, what happened the last time you sat down to write? She told me she had, hadn't. She hadn't sat down to write. I'm like, well, that's why you haven't written. There seems to be a very direct correlation between you not writing and you not sitting down to write. So if you're looking for somebody to give you motivation to write, I don't know. Go find a book. There's probably a book for that. It probably won't work, but there's probably a book for that. And I don't, I'm not trying to be flip, but... We can't help your lazy ass. No. Motivation honestly comes from accomplishment. The more you do, the more you're motivated to do. So write something, feel good about it. Even if it's not perfect, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to look at it and go, I did that. And then you're motivated to do it again. So your motivation will come from accomplishment. It's not going to come from nothing. Unless your motivation is coming from, and I'm definitely not talking to this person. If your motivation is to get feedback and kudos and stuff, and that might work for a couple of chapters, but it's going to bomb on you. So, and I can't help you. As a matter of fact, I don't want to help you, if I'm honest. Because you're not a writer. I, okay. You're that you're that person who who uses my craft to get attention and I don't like you. We're never talking to you. But, <laughs> but just is that terrible and rude? Yes it is, but so is their behavior. <laughs> there's also I wanna just point out there's a difference between I'm having a hard time writing and I don't wanna write. And I think it's really important to be honest with yourself about which one's going on with you. I don't want to write is very, very different headspace than I'm having a hard time writing. Because I'm having a hard time writing could be you, you're struggling with something. It could be you're kind of emotionally struggle. Because emotion, for me, writing is emotional bloodletting, even if it's not obvious to the reader. It is opening myself up. And when I'm struggling emotionally, it can be very difficult for me to write. And so sometimes I need to get it out. Sometimes I need to write it out. Um, sometimes I need to do something else until what I'm struggling with passes. But 
Sometimes it's too loud to write. Sometimes it's too, um, you know, whatever this is. But sometimes I just don't sometimes want it's to write. Too hot, and I got too much boob sweat to write. I mean, sometimes this 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 is a thing, right? right? Boob sweat can actually be very detrimental to the whole creative process. I'm just saying. <laughs> but there's a difference between that and what I really want to do is spend the next 48 hours reading Hannibal fan fiction. And the thing is, we're not honest with ourselves. We don't say, I don't want to write right now because what I want to do is read Hannibal fan fiction until I'm sick of it. That's the truth. But what we say instead is, oh, I'm having a hard time writing. Are you? Are you having a hard time writing? Or would you really rather? The thing is, there's nothing wrong with wanting to read. You should be reading. Writers should be reading. And so saying, I don't want to write right now because this is way more entertaining. (laughs) I'm going to lean into that so hard. And that's fine. That is fine. But just make the distinction because what happens is if you're always calling your desire to do something else as a, I'm having a problem writing, you're handicapping yourself with a lie. You're not having a problem writing. You just would rather be reading or going to the movies or, and then it makes it difficult to die, to figure out what's going on when you really are having a hard time writing. So just be honest. Be honest with you if you're not honest with anybody else. I mean, if you don't want to write and you don't want to admit you don't want to write, tell people you got writer's block. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> Which I don't think actually exists, okay? But Because um, usually it really boils down to two things. Either you're not in an emotional place to write, which is not writer's block. It means you're having an emotional moment and you need to give yourself a break. Or you literally don't want to write. Yeah. And, okay, there are logistical issues around writing. And sometimes those are seasonal. Somebody mentioned something about vitamin D and the lack of sun and seasonal affective disorder, I assume is the reference. If this is you, part of your writing hygiene is getting a fucking light. You know, I have one. I use one in the winter. Take some fucking vitamin vitamin D. D But we we up it in the winter because I do struggle with vitamin D because I cannot have sun. So um, I take a mountain of vitamin D and I'm barely in the range. So yeah, I take a lot too, and I'm so, barely in the range. And, and in the winter, when we get when we get less light through the windows, I do use a light. I use a you know light therapy to help you know get the, get the brain going. So if you are someone who struggles with that, that's part of what we're talking about with writing hygiene. Do you need a quieter space? Do you need a brighter space? Do you need a dimmer space? Do you need a different screen? Do you need those little glasses that block blue light? You know, what do you need to make yourself productive for writing? And then distinguish. You got to distinguish what the things that are really between you and writing and making being productive as a writer versus I just don't want to write. And when I talk to somebody who, you know, they go, okay, well, I have this problem. And I go, okay, we'll do this. And they go, well, I have this problem. I go, okay, well, they do this. And I go, oh, but then there's this. Okay, well, then do that. What I'm really hearing is I just don't want to write, but I just want to complain. And I'm not saying anybody in the chat room is complaining. I'm just saying that. I don't, all I want to do is complain and I really want your attention while I do it. Right. There's that, that aspect of it too. But the thing is, if you're nano, if, if the flip side of it is, is that you really want to be reading or you really want to, I don't know, go all in on, on um, binging Good Omens or something. Yeah. Um, and you feel like people are judging you because you didn't write. Like if let's say you're in a nano group or something, and you're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to binge Good Omens today rather than write. And they're judging you for that. Fuck them. Tell them to suck my dick. And they're like, no, nah, fuck you, dude. I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, and there's nothing wrong. I think, I think that's part of the issue. When you get into a writing community, sometimes there can be the sense of judgment around not writing. So we come up with ways of, I'm not, say, I, I'm not trying to say that it's lying, but it is a little bit disingenuous when what we, when the reality is what we, we just want to do something else. Um, is it becomes about, well, it's really hard to write today because of this, this, and this, so I'm just reading instead. Well, what happens is also it creates a sense of obligation. 
Um, and sometimes when I feel obligated to do something, I resent it. And then I get mad about it. And then I don't want to write. Um, cause I'm mad. I don't want to write. And then, you know, it's, it's a really ugly, vicious circle, right? So tell yourself it's perfectly okay to take a mental health day, read some Hannibal porn, watch some good omens, do whatever shakes your tree and just, that's what you chose. That's what you chose to do today. I, I emphasize that word very carefully because it's a choice. It's a choice. Choose to make yourself right. happy. Own it. Just own it. And if anybody's, you know, and you don't need to justify it to anybody. There's a thing that happens. Okay. And I'm not talking about, actually, I can't even see anybody in the chat room who I, whatever shakes by Claudia. Um, I would only know it gets to shake Claudia. Queenie, go to the corner. <laughs> um, there's a thing that happens sometimes. Um, well, sometimes when we're sprinting, I'm going to phrase this a different way. Sometimes when we're sprinting, we wind up just like our productivity just gets shot for a sprint, right? It's like, oh, the UPS driver showed up with 15 packages and I got nothing done. And we share that and that's fine. But I was in sprints one night with somebody I actually did hadn't seen them around before. Um, and like, I ran sprints for a long ass time one night. It was like for five or six hours. At every single sprint, every single sprint, they checked in about why they hadn't written anything that sprint. And I'm just sitting there and I was like, I was like one sprint away from going, you're not gonna write. I don't know what you're doing. You need to stop. You haven't written a fucking word in five hours, but you check in every half hour and tell us why you didn't write. That's bullshit. That is not about writing. I don't know what that is, actually. I don't even want to try to diagnose what's going on there. I'm not going to try to figure it out. We don't hand out participation trophies. And the thing is, we actually have a really supportive writers group. So if somebody just needed to talk about something and say, hey, could somebody come chat with me about whatever? Somebody would have done it. But instead, it was five hours. It was like, I think I ran 11 sprints in that, that stretch. Um, I mean, 11 sprints of nothing except checking in why they didn't write. I'm like, I'm about to lose my mind on you. <laughs> really, I'm not about, I was, I'm about to come unglued. Um, so that's not helpful for you as a writer to be in that space of where, more so that, forget my frustration, more so for you. For you as a writer, it is not helpful for you to be in a space where every half hour you are justifying why you didn't write. Just give, just say, I'm not going to write today and just own it and feel good about it. Literally feel good about the choice that you are making to entertain yourself with something else or to get your house clean. Cause sometimes you write better in a clean house. I mean, I don't know. You do you boo, boo here. I love, I love saying that when she, she's not, I love saying it though when she's actually in the chat. <laughs> and also it's, you know, I talked in my, uh, in that podcast where I talked about myself for several hours. I think I talked about um, uh, getting stuff done and uh, setting aside your own writing time and uh, not feeling guilty about using your writing time. Um, and so, you know, if you've got dishes in the sink and you know that's going to plague you, if, if you sit down to write, because oh, I can't write because I've got dishes in the sink, well, go do the damn dishes. Right. Then sit down and write. Exactly. Just do it. Fix the problem and write. And if you're not going to fix the problem, stop talking about it. So what's our next question? Um, I'm going to skip one ahead and then go back to the title one. Um, uh, chapter length. So this one should be an easy one. Do you always aim for around 5,000 words or just what feels right? 5,000 words is a very specific thing. They took like some huge number of the most successful novels of all time and they clocked the average chapter and it was just shy of 5,000 words, which is how it became the rule of thumb for chapter length. Does it mean you have to do that? Absolutely not. But you need to have a plan have a plan. What I would say is actually um, is twofold. You don't want to. You don't want. 
no matter what some people do, I'm looking at you, James Patterson. Um, a one paragraph chapter is ridiculous. Even 500 words is bullshit, in my opinion. Um, so you don't want your chapters to be too short because it will actually destroy your pace. But you don't want them to be too long because, again, it will destroy your pace. You can use sentence length, paragraph length, and chapter length to create pace in your novel, which is why you have to have a plan. If you want to slow your narrative down, you might go, say, 5,500, 6,000 words in a chapter um, to kind of slow the narrative down to, you know, to give your reader a little breathing room from the next big event. But if you want to speed up, just shave off 500, 1,000 words, go down to four. And that creates um, a pace in your novel. Or conversely, if you have a scene, a chapter that's a little bit, let's say you're aiming for 5,000, but you have a chapter that is a little bit weighty, where the, 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 pace of the, the pace of that particular scene is a little slow, you might want a shorter chapter so that it doesn't feel like a burden. But not 1,000 words if most of your other chapters are 5,000. It's jarring. It's not about like cut, you know, cutting them off at 5,000 words. It's, you know, how do you, what kind of narrative structure do you have? How are you trying to piece your story? Um, I typically find any, this is me as a reader, okay, stories that have consistently chapters under 2,000 words, I don't know what, what they're doing. It doesn't make sense to me. Because if, if it's like, let's say it's like a 20,000 word story with 10 chapters, just tell us a one shot. I don't understand the chaptering. It, it feels artificial to me. Um, but 100,000 words told in 2,000 word pieces is ridiculous too. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't ever have, but if you're somebody who shoots for like three to 4,000 words, you might realistically have one chapter or two that's 2,000 words. But if you're consistently hitting 1,500 to 2,000, I don't understand that as chapters because that's to me is scenes. It means every time you have a scene break, you're breaking uh, for a chapter. And a scene is not a chapter, so stop it. <laughs> Unless the scene's 5,000 words long. Right. And some scenes, some scenes are 15,000 words, and then you've got three chapters court scene hello we all went there yeah. right court scene court scenes can be riveting and sometimes they have to be broken up because they're just big they're just too big and the thing is is like when you're structuring a novel a fifteen thousand word paragraph is going to be exhausting for your yeah, reader paragraph? i mean uh a 500 word paragraph chapter. is exhausting too but right right you, i mean think about paragraph length i try to aim between like in the narrative i don't know 50 to 150? Yeah. I was going to say 80 to 100 is my sweet spot, but I wouldn't be surprised if I have a bunch of paragraphs. In. But if you're hitting 500 words in a paragraph, you've got a problem. Because I actually, I've encountered fix where it's like, is there going to be a paragraph break soon? Is it going to be, well, where's the fuck? It, is, is, is this paragraph actually a thousand words long? Yes, it is. This paragraph is a thousand words long. Which is exhausting actually mentally to your eyeball. Like literally to your eyeball. Um, you need white space or dark space around your words, depending on what your 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 spot's going to look like on the internet or in you know, in the book, um, to create um, spaces for your reader's eye to relax. And it pulls the eye down the page, which keeps them moving. A reader will stall out. Uh, you know, if somebody's kind of feeling reader fatigue, they will stall out at a long paragraph and go to bed. And honestly, that's probably good. Go to bed. If you're that tired, go to bed. But the goal of like publishers is to have you not want to go to bed, right? They want you to keep turning the page. But if you're wearing your reader out with a 15,000 word chapter, you've got a problem. Yeah. I, and I find for me, almost the irregularity, the extreme irregularity is harder for me to deal with than almost anything. Um, there's something I was reading that most of the chapters were 10 to 12,000 words. 
I found that they were two to three, two to three chapters in each chapter. Um, and those chapters were exhausting, right? They were exhausting because you never felt like you were hitting the end. So, um, but sometimes they would have a chapter that was 2000 words and I don't understand 15,000 words and 2000 words in the same story. It's jarring. It, it's, it's, and the thing is, if the reader is noticing your length, you fucked up. And that's the key thing right there, right? Is if they're noticing length, if they're going, wow, that was really short, or wow, that was really long, or wow, I can't believe that this chapter has not ended yet. Chapter length should be invisible to the reader. It should just, it should, it just should be completely transparent. They just move on to the next chapter. And it, and if the pace, if the pace is right, they just keep going. So also overall story length might be a factor in how you try to plan your chaptering out. Like, um, if you're telling 120,000 words, you might want to hit the five to 6,000 word range, four to six ish in there. If you're telling 30,000 words, you might do, do 10, 3,000 word chapters. I don't know. It just all depends upon, but you might also do six, 5,000 word chapters. It depends upon how that's broken up, what kind of story you're telling. So and if you're telling like a short story, 10 to 15 K, um, I think anything over 10 needs chaptering personally. Anything over how many words? 10,000. Even if you only split it three ways, I, I, I think that it needs chaptering. I, um, I'll go up to like 20 before I f like do full on chapters, but at 20, it, even at 20, I will do parts. So I'll do like, you know, I'll, I'll split into three parts. Like, which I, I have a hard. I think parts would be fine too, but I mean, parts would be fine too. I did that with, um, I was doing the three part structure. I was like giving a living example once during little black dress and I separated them into three parts. Beginning, middle, end. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, with a short story that's under 25 K I'm, I, you'll, you'll see it on my, you'll see it on my site. A lot of them are part one, part two, part three. And occasionally when I fucked up my falling action, it's a part four. Um, <laughs> which is which is really good because that that gives you um, that helps create pace. But but if it's one big chunk, it's like you're kind of leaning in, lean, 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 and then and there's no break. And I need that break as a reader. So just kind of know what it is you're aiming for. I mean, you don't have to be like right on the money. I am a five thousand word chapter writer. That's my goal. Some of my chapters are 7,000 and some of them are four. When the chapter's done, it's done. That's my thought. Now, one time, actually in the last Nano, I think. No, it was when I was writing Demons. Um, I hit a chapter. I mean, I wasn't quite done. It was 8,500 words. I was like, ugh, I gotta split it. So I went back. And the thing is, splitting a chapter is not just, oh, I'm gonna cut it in the middle. No, because now I have to create, you know, pick. There's an arc in a chapter. And I had to bring that chapter to a close and then pick it up for the next chapter. So it took that like 8,500 word chapter and it made it like 9,500 words to split it. But that's one of the reasons why I stopped posting incomplete chapters on Rough Trade is because it was driving me crazy to, to post a partial chapter. I just have to finish the whole thing. Would I chapter an episode a series if they were 10 to 15K? I might do parts. It depends if, um, it depends, but I, I could easily go 15K on an episode and not do it in chapter. Episodes feel different to me than a novella. Yeah. You just gotta do what feels right to you. If you read it, if you sit down to read it and it feels part of it is because episodes build on each other. So you're not just getting one big blob that's the whole story in 15K. Um It's an event and consequences. So so splitting up the event from the consequences seems funky, seems weird. But um so yeah, that's what I would say the difference between a short story and an episode. But if you have is. an episode that's run into forty K. Uh, you got to split somewhere. 
So I think I did chapter the search in Sentinels of Atlantis. I mean, it's 50K, so I hope I chaptered it. If I didn't chapter that shit, you guys need to let me know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm now, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was you thinking. Experiment, right? You do experiments. I mean, um, if found is written in five parts, it's not, there's no chaptering, and it's 50K, right? So, or is it 60K? But. I did, but you did, I did parts, so and parts. And they're similar, but of- for me, it's a little bit different. Um, it almost, if I had been planning that a little bit differently, I I could have written that as episodes, and they almost those parts almost read like episodes, but not quite. Um, it clearly is, it clearly was planned as one big narrative arc, but I could have easily split that into episodes. But I was experimenting with you know trying something different, and so I was writing like ten to twelve k in each part and doing it that way. I wouldn't choose to do that again. Overall, I, I didn't particularly care for that. But, you know, there's there's examples of really short chapters and really long chapters on my site. No chapter. <laughs> Everyone, no. Um, you know, now that I think about it, I there is no chaptering in Ties That Bind. I am pretty sure there is no chaptering in Ties That Bind. Because sometimes you just do with what felt right for that story, even if it's, like, not what you would usually do. Um I mean, I was getting really wrapped around the axle about how long my chapter lengths were in Demons. I mean, they were running really long for me. Um, and I was, I mean, I was like, I was getting neurotic about it. And um, when I reread it, when I was editing, it didn't feel like there was a problem. And, but I was still being neurotic about it, even though it didn't feel like there was a problem. And I curious, just like, just lean into it. Just, just go. <laughs> so a couple of them got longer. Um, oh, Jesus. I did not chapter the search. But I didn't chapter anything else in the series. I guess it felt like it would have been weird. That could have been why. But it's 50k. What is wrong with me? I'm so sorry, you guys. So that, but sometimes you just make funky decisions. And, you know, you make, deci- you make decisions. And you try things that are new. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If you try writing to 5,000 words, you're trying to use that golden, the rule of thumb for novel length, for novel length works. Um, and it doesn't work, don't do it. If it throws you off, don't do it. I have... But it doesn't. But it doesn't feel like a novel. The search doesn't feel like a novel, even though it's fifty k. It feels like a two part episode. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a novel because it does blend in with the rest of the of the series. Because it, it it never felt like a novel, even though I wrote it for National Novel Writing Month. You're right, Dark. I also had a lot of anxiety about doing a um a, a not there an action scene from some somebody's POV who wasn't present. Um, I had a lot of neurotic episodes around that story. I'm sure Kira got tired of hearing from me. <laughs> I didn't get tired of hearing from you. Yeah, the Hulk's training doll. She's over there. <sighs> She's just so bent about this story. And I did. I don't know why. That one and Leomoto are the ones I've probably gotten the most wrapped around the axle uh, in the writing process. Um, there is no explaining my crazy. I chaptered the North Star. It's 30K. I did not chapter the search and it's 50 well, I guess you need to go to the corner. <laughs> but I would also say, and this is like, a, a, you know, it's not actually going to bother me too much, Ellie. What I would say is that I do things in fan fiction that I would never in a million years do professionally. Yeah. Well, if you had submitted 50,000 words without a chapter to an editor, they'd have been, or the publisher, they'd have been like, you need to put some chapters in this bitch. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go to the next question. So with, um, well, this is a tangential question. How, how do you do? You, how do you know where to split a chapter? I never seem to find a good place. Um, for me, don't be, 
you know, someone once gave this awful piece of advice to the writing community and practically everybody and their mother leaned into it. And I don't even want to actually repeat it because it's terrible. But I, if you ever read a book that every single fucking chapter ended on a cliffhanger? You get one, okay? Maybe two if your story is really long. But it's just, I, I actually stop reading stories where every chapter is a cliffhanger. I stop. I just, because I find the device so fucking irritating and so transparent. It is so transparent what they're trying to do is come read my next chapter. And the thing is, it's actually less irritating with a book got in your hand and it's fucking finished then when you're reading a work in progress and every fucking chapter ends on a cliffhanger because they're trying to tease you to come back you just want to just hate people just hate 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 what i would say is that i tend to end a chapter on a scene break if at all possible i don't like to end chapters in the middle of a scene and the only time I think that I've really done that in recent memory was actually during a court scene where I had, and it, I think I might have actually had the court recess <laughs> so I could write a scene in between the court and the thing. Because it's like, I can't stand a cliffhanger personally. So I, I like to end um, chapters at the end of a scene and then open the next chapter up with a new scene in a new place sometimes. I mean, sometimes... I've done the occasional cliffhanger, but I do it once in a story. One time. Get one. Get one. Because it can be an effective device. It can be an effective narrative device, but it's not It's not something to do every time. I mean, because it just starts to become a gimmick. Um, the other piece of advice that somebody gave that I think is terrible advice when it comes to chaptering, but if it works for you, then do it. But I just think it's a shitty way to... If you start, The thing is, if you start off doing it this way, you may never learn how to to chapter which is that write the story and chapter it later and oh, there God. are there are a lot of writer blogs and like uh, professional writers who will tell you to do it that way just write the story and put the chapters in later mm, i it, it drives me bonkers that makes me deeply uncomfortable actually so, <laughs> let me tell you how i approach chapters when i sit down to write i have my list of shit, shit that needs to get done okay so i got my list of plot points and I sit down and I go, okay, the next plot point that I need to deal with is this. And I estimate, so I don't, because I don't do a scene map, you know, I'm not making a chapter plan. I sit down and I go, okay, for the next chapter, I need to do, and word count estimation is part of the, the factor here, okay? This is the plot point I'm going to address in the next chapter. I don't, I think it's going to take me 2,000 words to handle this plot point. So maybe I'm going to get two plot points in. Or maybe I'm going to get one plot point and I'm going to write some scenes to deal with some dangling threads that I need to keep pulling along. Because sometimes you have a subplot that you need to keep pulling along, right? So I sit down and I plan it. I go, okay, it's going to take me 2,000 words to do this. And I'm going to pull along this scene. That's going to take me 1,000 words. And I come up with a plan that is going to, this is how I do it, hit me to what I think is going to be about 5,000 words to get this stuff accomplished. And then I structure the chapter so that you have rising action in the chapter, the chapter kind of peaks, and then we end it, and we move on to the next chapter. There's a an arc in the chapter. I structure all that stuff I'm trying to accomplish, and then I start the next chapter. If I could get away with 6K in a court scene, Margaret, I would yeah. be thrilled with myself. <laughs> well, look what I accomplished. Yeah, like 10 or 15K. <laughs> but that's how I approach going into a chapter. And sometimes the problem for me, the biggest problem for me with being accurate with that is it's not that I don't get accomplished what I want to get accomplished or that that's, that method doesn't work for me. Is that I'm aiming for 5,000 words and sometimes it winds up at eight because I'm wordy. <laughs> but when I try to skip, yeah. when I try to up my estimates, I go, okay, well, okay, I'm, 
when there's a conversation involved, it's going to be longer Then I wind up with a 4,000 word chapter, which wasn't my intention. So I keep track. I've got, these are the things I need to get done. These are the plot subplots I need to keep track of. These are the loose ends I need to tie up. And I have this running list of stuff. And I'm crossing stuff off and dealing with stuff. Okay, I need to bring this on. I need to I need to foreshadow this. And so I have a plan for each chapter going into it. This is what I'm going to do. And I think this is what I can get done in 5,000 words. And then I plan the chapter so that it has an arc with all of that stuff getting accomplished. I don't look for an obvious quote-unquote end to the chapter. What might help is look at your, I mean, I don't know how to give advice for this for a pantser. So I'm just going to go um, with a plotter. Um, look at your next plot points. You come to the end of a scene. You've broken your scene. Look at your next plot point. Does it better serve your current chapter or is it more, or can you move on to your next chapter? How many words do you already have in this chapter? Keeping track of your um, number of pages in a chapter or the number of words in a chapter will help you determine whether or not this event, this next event, either needs to go in chapter four or you can start chapter five. If this event is closely tied with the events of chapter four, I would put it in chapter four. If it is ramifications of the event, I'd move to chapter five. So you need to do event analysis as well, which probably sound really technical and terrible i'm sorry <laughs> I mean, did that make sense at all <laughs> i think i mean sometimes when i'm looking at events it's like okay i'm way over budget on my words it was way too wordy this thing and then i have to look at what i what, what was left in my plan for that chapter and figure out what has to stay in the chapter and what needs to go out and that happens to be every fucking story it, it does i'll go into the chapter with a plan and then i'll go okay i gotta move something and what is the best thing to move? And that's why it's important to keep track of your moving parts. Because there are. When you're writing a novel, there's there's moving parts. There's the things, the foreshadowing you need to do. And that, these are not necessarily part of your plot points, right? But I need to foreshadow for this coming plot point. I've got this subplot. I need to keep track of this side character. I've got this minor arc going on over here with this person. Um, I've got this loose end. I need to give the reader some resolution about it at some point. You got to keep track of all that. And then when you're working, you're writing your chapter and you're going, okay, well, I'm a little bit short. Maybe your chapter's too short. Well, go look at your list and go, is there anything I can tie up? Can I write a scene that ties up this, this, this loose end? And where would that scene go? Where does it fit in the narrative structure? But I don't, I think if you're writing and expecting to just kind of find an end, like the, the end is going to present itself, you might, you might struggle a lot. And if that's the case, then you might want to end and begin in the scene structure. Like if you come to the end of the scene and you're already at 4,500 words, just go to the next chapter. Yeah. Make it simple on yourself. Because really in the end, like Julie said earlier, chaptering should be invisible to your reader. And what's not invisible is an, is an artificial cut. A, a clunky cut is very visible. It's like, why'd they, why'd they end it there? Or a or cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Why did they end it there? So ending at the scene break, you know, chaptering at the scene break is preferable to uh, repeated cliffhangers. Or, like, having the kiss start in chapter four, at the end of chapter four, and the sex scene is in chapter five. I really, I hate a split sex scene. I, I cannot even tell you how terrible that is. It's not even a cliffhanger, it's just, it is, it's just dumb. It, I see a, a lot of writers do it. A lot of writers do the split sex scene, where they start the sex scene in one chapter, and then write the bulk of it in the next chapter, and I just, I, I loathe it with a fire intensity. I, I can't even explain it. Okay, 
she asked about PO, um, POV shifts, um, moving from character to chapter. Um, the only reason I personally would cut it to a new chapter with a POV is if I'm also changing scenes. If I'm in the same, if, if I'm in a single scene, I'm not going to change into a new chapter with a POV change because that's just going to create a space for the reader and they're going to wonder if they're in the same place. And it creates it creates more logistical headache for you to have to keep resetting the scene when it may not be necessary. Because um, if you break chapter, you you have to reset your scene. You have to tell them. You have to tell the reader where they are, what they're doing, and what time of the day it is, and what you know. So I you don't. I know it's a thing. Okay, I know it's a thing. I've had my mom sent me a couple of books. I actually had to give her. A, I had to give her a hard limit on sending me stories books on Amazon that had alternating POVs, like chapter labels, like chapter one was character. All the odd chapters were character A and all the even chapters were character B point of view. I no, no, that is, I don't know who thought that was a good idea. And then they label the chapter, you know, Derek's point of view, Bob's point of view. Fuck that. I, 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 I won't. It's I won't. so jarring. No. I, and the thing is, I know there are a lot of books written like that, this right now. And, and so I, but if you don't know how to handle POV other than to do a chapter break, I don't. You're not ready to be publishing, baby. <laughs> you're not ready. I mean, if you have to indicate your POV break, you don't need to be writing in more than one POV. Yeah. If you can't shift POVs without ship without a scene break or a chapter break, girl, sit down. Now I forgive a lot of things. Fan, I forgive a lot Work of things on in you. fan fiction. I see, but the fan fiction to me is a learning ground. For a lot of writers, and that's fine. But when I see that in a in a, in a published novel, I'm, I just like no labeling your POV. <sighs> I I do ignore, and I've read plenty of fan fiction that's labeled POV. I I try to tune it out because it it's just you shouldn't have to label your POV. Um, and like and and the story that somebody in the chat room was mentioning where they they labeled their POV. I mean, I really enjoyed that story, so I obviously would manage to tune out the fact that you did that. <laughs> So, I mean, I've always remembered that story, so. Yeah, but, but, but don't it. do that shit again. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to go back a question. Do you have tips for choosing titles? Um, I remember that you and Julie looked at quotes when you did the Victoria Redemption Bounce. Are there other good methods? Oh, well, thank you for listening to our bounce. I hope it was helpful. I learned a lot about teen doing that bounce. <laughs> But that's also a good, it highlights the fact that your bouncing partner doesn't need to know a lot about the fandom that you're bouncing in if, there's no way for me to say that without sounding like I'm bragging. I'm just going, if they're a fluid thinker. Is that, sure. is that good? I, I, let's, let's go with that one. <laughs> she started off the night as a goldfish thinker, so fluid thinker is much better. <laughs> Earlier, I could not, I had to make a list of things to do, of which I had three things to do, and I kept forgetting to do them. I actually literally had to make a list in order to accomplish these three she, things. She said she had the attention span of an exhausted goldfish. And I went, so that's where she started. <laughs> so fluid is way better. Well, what I'm saying is, is that if you have a really dynamic, creative mind, you don't necessarily need to know all of the pertinent facts of a fandom in, in, in order to be a good yeah. balance partner. But that sounds like bragging, and I don't mean it to be. Go ahead and brag. Lean into it, Kira. You're, I am really fucking you're, creative, you're, you guys. You're an exhausted goldfish. <laughs> you can lean into your creativity today. Um, 
But that we talked about that earlier in the week about humble bragging and how women are encouraged not to brag about their abilities and accomplishments. Yeah, they really are. Kira's awesome. Well, she just needs to own it. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was the question? The question was about titles. <laughs> so I have been finding a lot of um, what I do when I do quote do it by quotes like you guys probably heard in the bounce we find quotes and then i find what in the quote the quote speaks the story and what in the quote um would would be a reasonable title and i i make a just make a list like here's all the quotes and this is what i think would be a reasonable title from that you can do the same thing with songs song titles and song lyrics and they don't have to be necessarily on point like germane to the story itself as long as you find inspiration like this song um this song like when we did um, Jilly's uh, RT bounce, which you guys have not heard yet, um, we uh, oh, it was a song. It's and I called what... um, Little Wonders. Little Wonders. These are one, little Wonders. Little and wonders. one of the lines is "These small hours," and that's where this title came from. But it, but what happened was is we were looking at quotes, and one of the quotes reminded me of the lyrics of that song, and so I pulled the song up for Jilly, and she listened to it, and we were like, "Oh, well, of course, it has to be called These Small Hours." <laughs> <laughs> it was just like it was right there. So if you look for the themes of your work, um, and for for these small hours, it was about the little moments that makes the biggest impact on your life, and and how you deal with these um, with these moments. And it's gorgeous. You guys are gonna really enjoy her her um, her story yeah, this it's, time it's, around. It's, I think it's gonna be good. But um, one thing I think that both Lady Holder Lady Holder and her bounce on the air didn't you yes yes um so when you're looking at the other thing you can do when you're looking for titles if let's say your story's fin, this is if your story's finished is i have gone through a finished story that i didn't have a title for and pulled out key lines of dialogue um key themes that i've noticed and then just kind of worked on what the title could be uh, i find i i don't like honestly i really do not like titling a story um, after the fact, I've done it quite a few times, but I really, it, it screws, it honestly screws up my process. That's the truth. Because then I've got this working title that really sticks. Cause I have to give it a working title and then it just, and then it just sticks. Right. And I still have a hard time remembering that that one Teen Wolf story is called React because it, it was, it was an after the fact title. Yeah, I have a story called Big... It is actually not called Big Gay Love in Canada, but I can't remember for the life of me ever what that story is actually called because I had originally called it Big Gay Love in right. Canada. Right, so and every time I want to read Big Gay Love in Canada, I go to the EAD community and I can't remember what her story is called either and I have to ask her, what is your Big Gay Love in Canada <laughs> story called? She doesn't remember either. So it's a hot mess. So... It, I think it is better to title title up front if you can. Some stories, the t I know the title before I know the story. Like before I've plotted anything, I know the title. Um, Imperfect was that way. Sometimes the title yeah. just comes to in, you. In, Imperfect was that way. I wanted. I was sitting there thinking I wanted to write a story about um, a Sentinel Guide who came together who weren't a perfect match. I said, oh, I'll call it Imperfect. I mean... Small Magic was pretty much there from the very beginning. Um, yeah, we need a lean-in story. I agree. We do. I should I should write a lean a, a story about Noah. I call it Lena. It's gonna lean into him being my unicorn. Um, I think it's actually start, um, currently called uh, unnamed Doctor Shepherd AU. <laughs> Untitled Doctor Shepherd AU is actually what it's titled on EAD really? right now. But no, that's no, that's not the um, Big Gay Lem Canada. No, in Doctor Shepherd AU, Rodney and John are married. Um, and the first time John hears about the Stargate program is when um, O'Neill 
Carter and Jackson come to McKay's house because um, the asshole as um, Gaul re- uh, reprogrammed the gate, <laughs> and they need McKay. What what usually winds up happening is when I want to reread *The Gale of Canada*, I wind up going and reading all of her Stargate EADs just to be sure I get it. It's no hardship. I think it actually might have in the subtitle or *Big Gay Love in Canada*. Did you change it? Because it didn't used to. I might no. have. I might have added it to just um, um to help us. Um, we were all lost. Because it will it will always forever be *Big Gay Love in Canada*. I might as well just lean in. You're well, right. Well, because the first time um, she called it *Big Gay Love in Canada*, I thought that was the title. So I'm combing her EAD offerings, looking for *Big Gay Love in Canada*, and I can't find it. And I was like, I felt so fictitious because <laughs> she said it was on EAD, and I was like, No, it's not. <laughs> So t- I know titles are a pain in the ass. Titles you can get wrapped around the axle with a title for days, and you have to feel right about it. Um, so ways to accomplish it. What I do is I will make a list of themes and concepts that appear in my story. This is actually really easy for me most of the time because are. I zero draft. Um, and also a lot of those those words and terms end up in my cloud plot, um, where I have written them down on pieces of paper and connected them together with my character names and you know and. So those themes come to me. Um, and then I look at quotes. I look at songs. And sometimes I look up the definition of words and plug shit into Google and Translate. Then, and then say it. <laughs> when all else fails, say it in Latin. And then, of course, there's the, the, the yeah, thesaurus. The thesaurus is your friend. But it, it is just... And you don't have to be a plotter to figure out the themes of your story. That's what we talk about having a plan. Is Do you want to tell you know a story where... Tony leaves NCIS and he takes Ian along for the ride and they go hunting in the woods and you know, you know, um, and then you, you go, well, so what is your theme there? Your theme is coming into his own. It's, it's, you don't have to plot, but you just, if you know that much, you can figure out what, what his theme is. It's finding love. It's, it's, you know, and then you can go and look up things that, you know, what is it, what do I think of when I think about, you know, finding love and coming into your own and, um, taking care of yourself, self-care, whatever those themes are to you for your character, what you want to accomplish for them. And then you can go, you can go and, and find a quote that fits or a song that fits and tease something out of that. So, or just find another word that fits. Um, okay. So I'm going to go to the next question. I think we need to do that. Uh... Okay. So big gay love in Canada is actually called more than anything. I'm judging your title. <laughs> <laughs> only because only because I'm so attached to big like gay love in Canada. But the reason is is that when Weir tries to interfere with their relationship and McKay quit the SGC, um, John does too, and John tells him that that Rodney means more to him than anything else. So it actually has she has um, a reason for her title, but it's still big gay love in Canada. It it has meaning, yeah, of course. It's, any any title you come up with has meaning, but. You know, it doesn't change the fact that React is really called the Come to Jesus verse. So, <laughs> why did I put that there? I don't know. Put it in the right place. <laughs> but the um, but sometimes on the other hand, sometimes somebody talks you out of it and they go, "Just lean into the your working title." Like my, I can't even remember what my working title for Overqualified was. I mean, Overqualified was a working title. I can't remember what I came up with. A place to belong. I think I called it a place to belong or something like that. But I couldn't, the title wouldn't gel because I named it. That was the last thing I did was go up the title. And I was talking to Kira. She's like, just lean into the overqualified thing. So I went and changed it because <laughs> overqualified does not have, the, and the issue there, the reason why I went ahead and did it is because overqualified does not have the, the problems with that Come to Jesus does. I can't use Come to Jesus as an actual title. 
because I don't want people being confused about what's going on in that story. <laughs> and there's no revival. No one's getting saved. It's not that way. Um, so it, it's a come to Jesus is a problematic title, which is why I couldn't use it, despite the fact that it is stuck in my head. Yeah, and that's where there was no rapture. That's true, but there will be. John West, John Winchester is going to give him all the rapture in the next book. <laughs> just saying. Um, <laughs> oh, girl, girl, you missed the. It's an AU. It's the they are the it's, same. There's a whole family. Mary's alive. They've got like three other kids. There's five Winchester kids, and you know they're a hunting family. They're they're the good hunting family. Actually, if you well. John Winchester has a conversation with Tony in React. So that's all explained, maybe. But anyway, then John meets Tony in the next book. John wants some of that. Because <laughs> Mary's alive, but they're not married. Dean will be going to Beacon Hills with John. He won't be a cameo. He's full on going to Beacon Hills. But Sam isn't. I can't remember. And it's one of the sisters. One of the sisters is going. It's one of the, I can't remember what I named her, though. I've, I forgot her name. So there's a Winchester sister, and Dean are going to go with. John to Beacon Hills in the, in the next book. Anyway, okay. So I think, what I think, think, is that Kira's muted. Um, but what I what I think, besides the fact, you weren't... I'm not muted. I can hear you. There can you, you hear me? Um, beyond that, I think that the splitting, how to split a novel is a big topic. Um, if we keep going with the smaller questions and do another podcast on the novel split, or try to tackle the... Yeah, I will. I will. T I will put that novel split question in our okay, big that's, list. Is that okay, Margaret? That's a big topic. That that's that a is, big that topic. Is, that is difficult. Um, okay, so the next question: During the rewrite process, how do you decide when to eliminate secondary storylines and when to flesh them out? Are there times you would keep, say, a relationship storyline even though it's not intrinsic to the main storyline, just because you like the pairing? Um, I think. I think for me, like at the end, there's a lot of there's a lot of answer to this. But at the end of the day, when it comes to side stories, subplots, whatever, is if they're not necessary. Like, if you could take it out wholesale and it doesn't affect the overall story, uh, if it, honestly, if you could take it out wholesale and it doesn't affect the overall story, you probably should, is, would be the easy answer. But more importantly, is if it, if it is how it, what, it's, what it's doing to the pace. Is if it's affecting your pace, like you're slowing things down in a bad way with this side story you should take it out it should just go um because you can have side stories i've read i've read books that had side stories that were not actually critically necessary but sometimes they are necessary in a way that isn't obvious like they add detail or richness that is really satisfying um and as, as long as they aren't negatively affecting the pace okay go for it it's when people notice that this thing is irrelevant that it's a real problem it's like, why is this irrelevant thing in here? I read a story recently where there's supposed to be a relationship, right? It's tagged as a relationship. The relationship was completely irrelevant uh, until like the last thousand words of a 60,000 word story. Completely irrelevant. And there's really no relationship building at all. And so there's all these weird moments where it felt like there was this tacked on, oh, he's hot kind of thought. It's like, it's like the author had to remind themselves that these two are supposed to get together eventually. And so it felt very contrived and just kind of added in. And the story would have been much better to just strip all that out. And then you could just, he could have left the last thousand words. It's like that after they'd, you know, known each other for a year, they got together and they were really happy. And that would have felt way better than this weird 
thing they tried to thread through as a subplot of these two people being attracted to each other because it just felt it felt it a it was irrelevant and it fell flat and it did affect pacing in a bad way what i also but what also is if you want the pairing to exist in your story um but they're getting together is not relevant to your plot or to the story that you're creating there's always established relationships we do like we we like to get together story, but if you're not writing a story that's focused on romance, it doesn't matter how they got together. So, know what kind of story you're telling, and also an established relationship would give you some meat. It gives your character some some more somebody more to main character more to lean on, and it's just you know you got to think outside the box a little bit. And if you're careful in your narrative, you can lace details of them coming together, um, how that happened in the past in your narrative without info dumping if you are careful your reader doesn't need to know everything but if they met because one dumped half a gallon of sweet tea on the other that's a terrible thing to have happened to tea um then you know that that might be funny to mention later if they're if their meat cute was in fact yeah. cute and honestly if this is the thing if you're not great at writing flirting it's not a skill that everybody has is writing characters flirting with each other um established relationship could be your lane you might as well go ahead and get in it because you don't have to deal with the awkward flirting thing. Because honestly, if the flirting is coming off awkward, you may not want to do that. I have to, to me, there's almost nothing worse than reading awkward flirting. I get secondhand embarrassment really badly. Um, I'm like, oh my God, if somebody said that to me, I would just like fall right through the floor. I, I go there. I empathize too much. So it's like, please, please stop, please, please stop. I just can't handle any more of but it. it. But beyond relationship, um, secondary storylines, um, Secondary storylines, we actually have a podcast about um, secondary character arcs and subplots. Um, if your secondary character, this is, there's a, we haven't, yeah, we done, haven't it. done yet. We haven't done it. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's in the pending queue. And so this, we'll answer this, I think, more in depth than that. But I think if a secondary character is important to your overall plot, if you want to give them depth, you've got to keep something of their storyline in i mean you don't give them you have to have it's a balancing act right because otherwise your, your secondary characters just feel like plot devices um so if if this secondary character is is important to your overall narrative right you don't want them to just be you know a flat plug-in that you're using to accomplish something so like for instance thaddeus banner in harry potter and the soulmate bond um Someone asked me why I explored the implications of him being polyjuice for two days um, while he was being held hostage by the Department of Mysteries. And that was to give his character depth. And also, I wanted to speak to his loyalty to his wife in marriage because one of the first thing the first thing he asked that motherfucker is, did you touch my wife? Did you put your hands on my wife? I need to know that right now. Because I wanted to speak to his... Um, his dedication and loyalty to his wife because it, um, um, because it, it gave his character depth. That he was more concerned about what had happened, you know, what could have potentially happened to his wife while he was contained, rather than what had happened to him. And if this bastard had, had had raped his wife, he wasn't getting out of that room alive. So, you know, it was, that moment felt like it had to happen. And, but also I wanted to explore the implications of polyjuice. Polyjuice. Jesus. There's a lot of ugly implication about polyjuice all the way around. Um, I mean, you might have to kind of come up with your own kind of decision tree to determine if something should stay in or should go. And by that, I mean, it's sort of like, is this, is this vital to my storyline? Is this character vital to my main storyline? Um, 
does fleshing this out give them bet- better depth or whatever? And basically, you're looking for decision points where you can show the relevance to this thing that you're evaluating to your story. And if at the end of the day, you come up with no relevance, it doesn't serve any function, my advice is take it out. But it's fan fiction, and your id might just really want that shopping scene. So lean in, give it to yourself, own that you own that you don't need it. Enjoy it. Um, and just move on. But yes, if you can really find nothing, and this is just, I, I don't know what else to say to that, but if you can really find nothing, that this no function for this scene, or the this arc, or this character, take them out. More importantly, if you have a character, if you have multiple characters that can do the same thing, why do you have multiple characters? Right. And we are going to tease you with another podcast. We have one planned about how many characters do you need? It's like we should have done <laughs> And sometimes an unnecessary plot element can loom large in your work. For instance, the only Deathly Hallow that was a Horcrux was destroyed by Dumbledore before Book 7. How important, truly, was the Deathly Hallows to Book 7? Could you remove the Deathly Hallow element from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? Yes. Would it it change anything? I mean, I think you'd have to have a different rationale for why that... Um, that last little bit, Voldemort's actual death, because the loyalty of the wand, right, was a factor. But Supposedly, that could easily be explained as something else. It could something just be else. a really enchanted wand. Uh, it doesn't have to be a Deathly Hallow. So, so other than that, other than the wand, in fact, the wand, the, um, the wand mythos could built in could have been built in over the series itself, where there are some wands that are just excessively loyal to their. Um, to the owner if they're one in combat. Right. It could just be, it could be a great spell work on the wand. It doesn't, it, it, it being a hallow had uh, fuck all to do with. The scene where Harry meets um, all the people that he loved uh, that were dead. Did it serve any purpose? Not really. So, and when it, it, honestly, this particular question is one of the ones that's really hard to answer very specifically because it's really hard to judge the value or the necessity of somebody else's, whatever um all we can do is like take examples and say like the deathly hallows and say did did you need it and maybe she just really really liked it but from the and that's her call because that's her shit right right but from the outside perspective it doesn't seem to serve a purpose now i know when i'm editing for somebody i can say to them this doesn't seem to serve any purpose it it's affecting and sometimes there's reasons why i would call that out more than others like if it's really slowing their pace down um but then ultimately when because that's a content edit right that's not a grammar or punctuation edit and when it comes to content editing the writer has the author has the final say so unless the publisher made it contingent that they take something out if they want to keep it it stays but you know more often than not when i've said to an author this is affecting your pace. It doesn't seem like it's necessary. What, you know, can you tell me what it is you're getting out of this? And maybe we can find another way to, to bring that information in. And in one case, it was, a, it was, it was like actually the scene, the scene was an entire chapter in this one's book. And I asked her, you know, what are we getting from this? And um, is there a way we can feed it into another scene? Cause I, I don't pretend to be psychic and know what she was trying to accomplish with that scene. And um, so I asked, you know, because right now it's affecting the pace really badly because it's kind of dragging in between two really critical things and it's it's too long 
and it's bogging things down. And she she read it and she thought about it. She said, oh, we can take the whole thing out, which was super cooperative, right? Super helpful. I mean, from an editor's perspective, it's like, <laughs> usually authors don't want to, usually authors don't want to do that. They don't go, oh, you can just take the whole thing out. I was like, okay. And then in that particular case, then I have to make sure we didn't edit her below her minimum word count, which we didn't. But um, from the outside perspective, that's all you can do is look at it and go, I don't see what purpose this serves, but you tell me what you're trying to do. And let's see if there's a way to accomplish that without destroying your pace or thread it in so it doesn't feel quite so obvious that this is unnecessary. Because sometimes it's easier to put something in that's unnecessary in a way that's a tease. A little bit here, a little bit there, it's kind of sprinkled in as opposed to just, you know, serving somebody jello in between their pork chop and their dessert. It's like, why do we get a jello course? I mean, I, I wouldn't be mad. Well, yeah, actually, I would be mad because I don't eat jello, but. Could there be a substitution? Right. So it's a hard, it's just, I would say this is a hard question to answer because a lot of it is about what your perspective is on what you're doing. Right. I definitely would not say no to a cheesecake course. I would course. at any stage in the meal. But some people might look at that cheesecake course and go, should that have been there? It's like, shut up. <laughs> it is cheesecake. Cheesecake should always be there. Okay. Just like when somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. That's right. So we do have two podcasts planned. That address more of some of this. It's just, and I'm, I might even note who asked this question and ping them for some more specifics we could maybe address during those podcasts. Okay, that would be um, awesome. Okay, moving on. How to stop getting lost in detail? Hell, like all the world building, and how the three moons on this planet work because they're important. Okay, so something sci-fi, <laughs> um, and then somebody else has a very similar question. That's how much detail is too much. Um, well, how not to get lost in your details um, as far as world building goes, as far as like the actual research part, is that you need to give yourself um, time limit. Make a schedule for yourself for research and say, okay, I give myself 30 minutes to write, to hammer out these details for this element. Go. Because if you don't limit yourself, you, you need to give yourself boundaries when it comes to that kind of thing. Because I'll spend 10 days on looking up shit that I don't actually need to know. I'll look at prices of office furniture about a story that shouldn't have any office furniture in it. So, you know. Right? Whatever. <laughs> um, 30 minutes later, I'm on YouTube watching these, um, watching giant construction builds. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. You know how fast you could reasonably build a high rise and it just went. And then I learned a lot about how fast you could build a high rise because she shared. <laughs> Which is honestly, you can, they can, you doesn't, there's like, they can build a freaking 80 story building in a month. A month. I mean, if you got money. If you, if, if you got the money, that's the thing. If you got the money and you can get the building permits and close down a bunch of streets, just go and, but the thing, so how to get, how to, this is a lot like the other thing we talked about, about reining yourself in and get yourself limits. And part of it is knowing going in, how much detail do you need? You know, if you don't know how much detail you need, how in-depth you need to get with this, um, then you can get stuck in, a, in an abyss, a terrible, terrible, terrible abyss where you're Googling things about nuclear fuel rods that have absolutely no bearing on your story at all. And really hoping that the CIA is, um, um, isn't putting you on a list. <laughs> or if they do have you on a list, it's that don't worry, she's a writer list. <laughs> I hope they have me on the don't worry, the reddits. But then my, my pops told me that like the one thing to never Google for if I don't want to make it on the NSA's list. And I was like, okay. Um, 
I'm not even going to tell you guys. I don't want us all to wind up on the NSA's list. So, it's just, Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, I can't even tell you. Um, I'm a writer NSA. I don't actually really care about that stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's the problem. So I told you guys what not to Google. Some of you were not there and Google it. And then I just want to be responsible for the NSA paying attention to you. Especially because I know some of you are very questionable Google habits. <laughs> Already. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you got to give yourself some limit about how much detail do you actually need? Do you need to really understand exactly how nuclear fission and nuclear fusion work to write this? Probably not. So how much information do you really need? And when, so when you're fleshing out the details of your world, do you need to understand? Okay, so let's say you've got um, a crystalline tree trunk. Okay, so let's say you've got a sci-fi world, right? And all of your trees, they're not actually trees, they're crystals that grow leaf-like structure. So they look like trees, but they're not actually trees. And when they're healthy, the crystal is nice and clear. And when they're ill, the crystal becomes clouded. Crystal trees, what the fuck ever. Do you actually need to go and sit down and work out what, how these plants, these crystal plants that are mentioned only for the fact that there are crystal trees on this world, do you need to actually sit down and work out what they do instead of photosynthesis? Actually, no, you don't. <laughs> I just don't think it's necessary. But it would be cool to know. It might be cool to know, but you're making it up anyway. So um, figure out what you actually need to know and then give yourself a time limit to figure it out. <laughs> Someone's going to go off and figure out these crystal trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem with a really creative mind though is that it, you will create these things and you go well now i gotta figure out how it works well how does that work how does it work with this and so now i have to go figure out how that works so i can figure out how that would work if it actually existed great 10 days later you're at home depot looking at trees <laughs> and it and I would say rein yourself in because in a fantasy world this is what happens this is because this is what happens to us why we get wrapped around the axle with science in like a Marvel fandom. Why are we getting wrapped around the axle in a comic book science fandom? It, it, it's not serving you because then people say, well, this isn't plausible. It wouldn't work that way. And I always come back to Tony Stark has a miniaturized fusion reactor in his chest. <laughs> Can we please stop taking about the science? Does it make sense? So if you're willing to accept that, you just kind of got to you just kind of got to get in that lane and to deal. Not everything is gonna right. The Hulk violates, you know, con the. <laughs> I hope you mean conservation of mass, not conversation of mass. I'll talk about it all day. <laughs> I'll talk about it all day, <laughs> but um, you you got to brand yourself in. If you're somebody who really will get deep down and go in and just lose your mind on the detail, um. You gotta give yourself limits. Pull yourself back, or, or lean into your, lean into your thing and just go hog wild. Okay. And so then the follow-on question was this: was um, okay. Also, the other thing was the example: of the three moons on how to figure out how the three moons work on this planet because they're important. If they're actually important, you do need to figure out how they work. But if they're not important, you don't need to know much more than we knew in Pitch Black. Okay, or any other sci-fi show. You can use that as your benchmark. Any sci-fi show that you have watched where you did not understand the... You, were you able to suspend your disbelief about a planet with four moons or something like that? Or six moons or however many there were? If you're able to suspend your disbelief for your that sci-fi thing, then you don't need to figure that shit out. 
You may want to, but you don't need to. Unless you have some asshole sitting beside you, my husband, who said, who leaned over and said, you know, actually, I'm not sure that planet would exist exactly that way if there were that many moons. Like, go away. Up. Go away. <laughs> There's always... The tidal forces would be outrageous. I'm sure. I'm sure. There's always someone. <laughs> There's always someone. Um, but just, you got to figure out how to give yourself limits if you're somebody who gets lost in it that way. And a benchmark for the kind of thing you're writing is what is typical in terms of detail in the genre you're writing in or the fandom you're writing in. And don't give yourself permission to go much beyond what is maybe the, the norm in that fandom. Maybe the high-end norm. Because sometimes the research is shitty. <sighs> sometimes the research is shitty and sometimes it's just stupid. Yeah. And you just have to embrace the yeah. stupid. And sometimes people put, I, I can always tell when somebody just doesn't care. Like they just put random crap in that makes no sense. You know, like somebody trying to, um, I don't know, rip out their IV and try to commit suicide with it. I mean. You all know that an IV, the, the part that goes in your arm is actually like a fucking plastic tube. It's a little flip floppy thing. It's flop, flop, flop. There's no needle. You know, come on. I, Do you know how bad a fucking needle would hurt in your arm? Just hanging out there? Yeah, whatever. I had I had a moment. I had a moment. I think you probably read the same thing. I just was like going. You asshole. And of course, there was the reassuring beep of the heart monitor. To go with the suicide attempt by IV needle. But whatever. You know, honestly, if there was that reassure that that if a heart monitor actually beeped that that way, it would not be reassuring. No, no. When the- it would be annoying as fuck. It would be worse than a ticking clock. You wouldn't sleep for start- I mean, honestly, if you hear anything from your heart monitor, it means there's a problem and it's not reassuring. Assume the worst. But if I read one more fucking story where the person wakes up to the sound of their heart monitor, I'm gonna be like, I mean, it's. Be- what they're probably waking up from is their oxygen, they've knocked their oxygen monitor loose from their finger. Or that. Or their nasal ca- It's their nasal going off. Come, come loose and they, and they that's an alarm. That's not a reassuring beep. Because there's nothing fucking reassuring about something annoying. Anyway, tangent. Okay. Question. We, we might have issues. Um, so lean into what's typical for the fandom level of science and detail but try not to be stupid. I guess that's the best advice I could give anybody. Try not to be stupid. Uh, next one. Oh, how much? The tangential question that was: How much detail is too much? I don't know. Is it boring? Was that too flip? I mean, yeah. I mean, if I don't need you to tell me, I mean, I don't need five thousand words of description for an aquatic generator. <sighs> Make sure what you're describing is relevant, right? So, like, if you're describing, um, if you're taking a lot of effort to describe. Like, let's say you have a scene in a hospital, since we are in the hospital lane. Let's say you have a scene in the hospital, and the character is hooked up to various pieces of equipment. I got an IV. Maybe they've got two IVs. Maybe they've got nasal cannula or an oxygen mask. Maybe they've got those little inflate thingies on their legs to prevent pulmonary embolism, to prevent um, blood clots. Whatever. So they've cooked up all this fucking gear. And you're going to describe all of this hookup hookup stuff for a secondary character. And here's the difference, right? You're going to describe all this stuff for a secondary character for something that takes place that isn't relevant to the plot, that they're just going into question. Let's say they're questioning a victim or a suspect or something in the hospital, and you're describing all the gear. Completely irrelevant. It serves no fucking purpose. Now, we don't care. We don't care. If it's your main character, and they're in ICU, and they're dying, and there's a significant amount of 
time being spent in the scene and your char- your your other character is coming in and seeing them for the first time and the shock of all of these tubes and wires they've got a drainage tube coming out of their chest or two or three or something and there's like multiple IVs and there's they're on a ventilator the description of that scene becomes relevant so some people have a tendency to describe everything every scene they walk into a hospital room to question a suspect and the entire thing is described it's irrelevant and also, cur- uh, hospitals don't have curtains. I I have not been in a hospital room that had curtains on the windows, and I could not tell you how long. Yeah, they have blinds. They have blinds. And honestly, it's been a long time since I've been in an ER that had curtain cubicle um uh, um cubicles. Um, I've been in. I've been. It depends on you know probably budgetary things. Um, because the thing about the curtains, you have to take them down. It's just a bad idea. But anyway, um, because the last three hospitals I've been in had actual little bitty rooms in their emergency room they didn't have curtains curtain cubicles so i would say that if you're if, if you're in a big metro area riding a hospital scene pay attention to what your hospital actually looks like whether it's been modernized yeah and sometimes you do have like cubicles with a curtain in the front of it so that you get privacy but otherwise they're open uh, and that's usually in trauma areas where they need to keep an eye on you and they're not going to put you in a room. So it all depends mm-hmm. on there's like different types of rooms in ERs and how stable you are. It may determine like, honestly, you might get the best room if there's something not critically wrong with you. The more wrong with you, the more they're going to want to be able to see you. And the more uncomfortable the bed is. I learned that the hard way. I was like, I was at the ER once for something more serious. And the bed was miserable. It was so uncomfortable. It was rock hard. And I'm out, like, basically exposed, except for they do pull a curtain to give a little bit of privacy here and there. But it wasn't like an all-around curtain. It was just across this one thing. And the next time I went in to get stitches on my foot, as you do, because, you know, me and stitches are bros, um, I'm in this big, huge room, this big room with this very comfortable bed. This is in the ER. And I'm like, I don't get it. Right, it was the TV. TV. And the guy, he said, do you want to watch TV while I do your stitches? I was like, I don't understand. When I was in here, they put me in this room with an observation window, and, and it was this really miserable, narrow bed. He says, oh, well, they have this rating system, and if you're, you know, if depending on what's wrong with you, go on this, you get on this, you know, rated a certain number, and then you get the shitty bed and the tiny room where they can watch you. And I was like, he said, but stitches, yeah, you know, we'll give you the, this, this, you, know, you can get a better room. I was like, what the fuck ever, dude? I was like, I'm not getting off this bed. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here until I feel better about how sore my ass was the last time. (laughs) (laughs) The last time. (laughs) But also, yeah, I mean, if you're riding in a major metropolitan, if if, if you're setting your story in a major metropolitan area, um, it is to your benefit to get on the hospital's website, check out the pictures that they're going to show you. They're going to show you their stuff because they're proud of their place. Um, You're going to see pictures of their waiting rooms, pictures of, there because you're going to have that asshole reader that says oh hey did, did you know that baltimore da, 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 hospital actually has orange chairs in their waiting room and they're hard plastic but this, there yeah, are no but cushions this is where, this is where <laughs> does this detail serve you and 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 the answer is probably no but if a lot of your story is happening in a hospital um you have to, and you don't know if you've never been in a hospital or you've never been through emergency care in the hospital or you've never been admitted to the hospital, or you've never even visited anybody in a hospital, you might not want to set your seat, your a significant portion of your story in a hospital because you're going to get the details wrong in a way that is jarring. Because most, most people have been in a so, hospital. Yeah, so don't mention the color right. of the chairs. And don't describe things that you aren't, you know, honestly aren't informed enough to speak to competently. And I'm not talking about, like, 
you know, forensic science in the TV show. I'm not talking about that, but most people don't know much about forensic science. But most people have been in a hospital, whether visiting or they've gotten some stitches or whatever. Most people have. And so they're going to notice that these little, this stuff that is jarringly off. So over describing on something you don't know anything about is not helping you. So I read a story a couple of months ago where um, the hospital had what they called strict visiting hours. And the nurse came into the room and kicked everybody out and sent everybody home. I have been in and out of hospitals since I was 15 years old with different relatives and stuff. I cannot tell you how many hospitals I've slept in where I was not a patient. The only time nurses were militant about visitors was when my grandmother, like, went like, ICU. If you're in ICU, you, you get 30 minutes every two or three hours, depending on your condition, depending on the rules of the hospital. Um, but even then, you can sleep in the waiting room and wait for your three hours to get by so you can get another 30 minutes with your person. When my mother was in the hospital a few, a, a few months ago, um, and then also a couple of weeks ago, um, I spent the night in a pullout cot. They brought me a chair into the room that would fold out into a bed. And the pillow and, and the sheets truth and the like a lot of bunch of people do that, but usually they'll let one person who's unobtrusive stay. Um, now, when I was in ICU, they actually completely bent the rules for my sister because um, she was so good about dealing with me and being helpful and and interpreting. She was really good about interpreting what was making me miserable in a way the nurses wanted her to stay. She was willing, and she did. She stayed with me the whole for uh, every night, all, all night for two nights in, in, the, in the intensive care. So. Um, but you know, that was, it was, it was an unusual circumstance. And actually my doctor then the next day told her he really thought she should be a nurse. And she was like, no, I hate this shit. <laughs> this is my sister. This is my sister and I love her, but I would not want to do this for, no. <laughs> I'm here cause it's my sister. <laughs> now, when my mother had knee replacement, me and my sister took turns. We had 12 hour shifts in the hospital. She would go home and sleep. I'd be there for, for 12 hours awake with my mama, making sure she got um, her therapy on time, doing all these things, making making her get up, do her exercises when she didn't want to. And the nurses were like, she she would argue with the nurses. She didn't argue with us. And you need to get up. You're going to walk down. You're going to do your walker thing. Um, and when we were leaving with her, the nurses told me and my sister that they had never seen a pair of more dedicated daughters you know, children of a, of a patient ever because she did not spend one minute alone in the hospital her entire week's day. Now, on the other hand, the nurses will back you up as the patient if you don't want people there. I have, right. you know, nurse came in, nurse came in to give me a bath. And I'm like, I don't want any more visitors. I'm like, I can't deal. I'm exhausted. And she's like, that's okay, honey. You go get some sleep. I'll make sure nobody comes in. I'm like, thank you. Because honestly, one of the things I dislike more in life than anything is somebody watching me sleep. I find it to be absolutely creeptastic. And I kept, I kept waking yeah. up to find people by my bed. And I was like, so the nurse, I said, I don't want any visitors until, I, until I'm awake. I'm awake. And they were very supportive of that. But anyway, the other thing, don't perpetuate stupid shit that you read in fan fiction as a detail. For instance, Tony Donozo checking himself out of the hospital AMA needs to die in a fucking fire. Actually, any but also he needs to get a really big giant bill because the insurance company right. refused to pay. That's exactly the problem. Also, he's for sure he's a grown up. What you know, whatever. But it's not just Tony. It's 
is the whole checking themselves out AMA thing, that would be an extreme circumstance. Like, and in which case, if it's that extreme, get the doctor to work with you. You know, there's about to be a terrorist attack or something. And the doctor's like, okay, well, we'll support how, how to get you out of here safely. But the characters checking themselves out AMA? No. That happens with the uninsured. Because if you're insured, it can lead to you getting a $100,000 medical bill. Because insurance companies will be like, well, if you check yourself, maybe you didn't even need to go to the doctor at all, so we're not paying for any of it. Well, Tony reacting weirdly to pain meds is in canon, so um, I'm good with it staying. But there is... Some people have atypical reactions to pain medications. Some people just sleep. So don't treat every character like some goofy moron if they get a pain medication. Right. I don't have. I don't. I. I not only don't get goofy. I don't sleep either. So, you know, give me narcotics and I'll be awake for days. It's not a pleasant thing. Oh, we know. It's not a pleasant <laughs> thing. <laughs> Oh, we know you do. Nothing, nothing puts me to sleep. Um, except propofol. We did discover that that works. Um, For instance, I will wake up in the middle of twilight anesthesia. Where any other person would sleep for 30 or 40 minutes. I'm like, hey. I just don't, I just don't go to sleep. It's like, oh. I'll go out initially, which, you know, gives them a false sense that's, of security. That's the uh, opiate, <laughs> I think. Because they do, usually with Twilight, they give you fentanyl and some sort of sedative. And most people go out, mm -hmm. if they don't react to the sedative, they'll go out on the opiate and then wake up fairly quickly. But both of those are activating for me. It's like, oh, hello. So when I told one of my doctors that I was awake for my colonoscopy, he goes, you were awake for that? I said, well, yeah. He said, he said, are you sure they didn't have to stop it because the medication was working? I said, I'm positive they didn't stop it. It was not the most pleasant thing I've ever been through. And he... he but not the most unpleasant no, either. but on the other hand, but I remember it. You know, I was awake for the whole thing. And so he asked me, he said, he said, well, I really don't think. I said, yes, I don't care if you doubt, baby. Just go ahead and get my medical records. You'll find out. That's so the next time I saw him. He said, you were awake for the whole thing. He even noted that they needed to not ever give you that medication again. I said, I told you. <laughs> I said, what incentive do I have to lie to you about Versed being, that I have an, um, a typical reaction to Versed? What would be my motivation for that? So what we're saying is, if you're going to give your character an atypical reaction, make it realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And don't do it. Um, but don't, but don't spend ten days on WebMD yeah, trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's not a really all that relevant a detail. But also, don't do it with every character. And also, does it does it matter? Is it actually helping your story that your character is having an atypical reaction to a pain medication? Like, if it's they need to be awake to hear something they shouldn't hear. That's okay. actually great. Like you know that that they're kind of out of it and they're tired. So they got their eyes closed. But they can't actually fall asleep, which is what happens to me when I take most narcotics is I feel kind of like, like my body's drugged down, but my mind is overstimulated. So I just kind of lay there with my eyes closed and go, fuck this. So you could do something like that where your characters 
ostensibly should be asleep, but they're awake. And there's a you know, and then you can explain why. But you don't you don't you don't need a lot of explanation to explain that, right? You could just have the character. You don't even need, the character could just think that you know they think I'm asleep or, and but I've always had an idiosyncratic reaction to narcotics. They, I can't sleep on them. And one and done, right? It doesn't need to be over-explained. Um, in duality, um, Ron and Molly sneak into St. Mungo's to dose Harry. And they think he's under a sleeping charm. But because his sentinel instincts are surfacing, the sentinel in him pushes through that sleeping charm because he's in danger. And his instincts are responding to that. And it circumvented the magic. So he was able to hear what they were about to do to him. Because his dose of suppressant had been so late. That all of his instincts were were waking up. Um, I didn't explain that in detail. Because I didn't think I had to. I didn't think you had to either. Right. So, but so that's the kind of thing that you can allude to. Without you know the rashes that he was having. Um, him being sick. Um, you know, being in St. Mungo's anyway because he didn't feel well because of the headaches. Um, all that was implied without being without bogging down the reader with eight or nine paragraphs of explanation because you don't yeah. need that. I read it and so when it comes to too much in unnecessary detail. This is my classic example because I just you know I read this in a book and I'm reading in this scene. And there's a conversation happening kind of in and around the scene. And it had been alluded to that they were going to need to paint this room, right? So we get into the painting of the room. And I'm, I'm assuming something significant is going to happen other than just a conversation. In the end, all that actually happened was a conversation. It was just a conversation. It didn't need the backdrop of, of a painting a room. But whatever. Sometimes you pick the backdrop for your conversation. And when... When the backdrop for a conversation, if that's all it's doing is, is being the place that this conversation happens, avoid a lot of detail about it because it does not matter. But anyway, in the end, this room that they're painting was just the backdrop for a conversation. The detail was how big the room was. The detail was the color of paint on the wall. The detail was the color of paint it was going to be. It was them prepping the wall. It was them laying down drop cloths. They didn't tape off the baseboards, I noticed, because we got every other fucking piece of detail about them taping off the windows. And I was like, you didn't tape off the baseboards, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually an important detail if you're going to go that far. Because damn, baseboards. Damn. I mean, you fuck up baseboards faster than you fuck up a window. I mean, who doesn't tape off their baseboards? But anyway, whatever. Dripping, right? Dripping. I get you. You can tell I've painted a room. So it's like when I'm sitting there reading all this detail, I'm bored to fucking tears, right? And I'm thinking with all this detail that they're going to remove a baseboard or something and find, I don't know, a treasure map behind the baseboard. But no. Or blood. Or blood. A dead body (laughs) on the wall. I don't know. Something is going to be worth all this fucking detail about how to paint a room. No. It was just detail to flesh out around... Um, them having a, a fairly mundane conversation. All of that detail about how to paint a room where they missed the baseboards. Um, totally unnecessary. That is too much detail. That is detail you don't need. It's boring. And that is not the same thing as giving... Some people really like to describe a room. They really like floral detail about, you know, the you know the crown molding or 
the color of the walls or the wallpaper. And if that's your jam, that's fine. Describe the room, describe the clothes. I don't personally like it. But even then, I think you should describe in brush strokes, not in like dimensions and, you know, four feet away was, you know, a settee with um, pink satin upholstery. I, it's just, it's who cares? Just give brush strokes about the style of the decorating or something. Well, of course they reek, but that's why you see them often wrapped up in plastic and duct tape. Plastic and duct tape. That's how we, in crime dramas, that's how we hide bodies and walls. Plastic and duct tape. So, um, in any case, when you're trying to decide what kind of detail you want to put in, if it's not relevant to moving the story forward or your central characters, just give brushstrokes, broad brushstrokes about that kind of detail and focus on the things that are important um, and zoom in on what matters and just keep everything else kind of blurry and hazy and let the reader fill that detail in for themselves. Um, true. I, I absolutely do know all of that stuff that you're pointing, you're telling me about dead bodies. I do know this stuff, but this is TV science, right? And in TV land, they find dead bodies in walls, wrapped in plastic and duct tape. So if we're leaning into what the being consistent there, go with the dead body. Otherwise, you're going to wind, it is wonky in TV land, but Correcting all the factual inaccuracies in TV programs and movies is doomed to failure because you're only going to correct the factual inaccuracies that you personally are able to spot, and then you're going to miss a whole bunch. So, but also it depends but, on what the body. I mean, honestly, because sometimes uh, a body can disappear in as little as six or seven weeks, not disappear completely, but be down to bones, depending on the environment. Or it could be a mummy. Mummification. Um, it could practically turn to soap yeah. in the wall. But I mean, you lean into the details that you really care about if you really want to. But I mean, it's, and correct the factual inaccuracies you, you really... I know more about forensic science than I actually put into my stories. Because it is a fruitless endeavor to try to make NCIS function as a fandom being factually accurate. It would be, I, I, there'd be nothing to work with. Uh, you'd have to completely deconstruct canon. So that's why I don't try to fix it too much. Because there'd be nothing. Because it doesn't work that way. So, anyway. Focus on... I feel attacked. What? Dark says no one's car is that clean unless they detail it weekly. My car is that clean. My car used to be that clean. Right now it's got a lot of boxes in it. Well, and I had a brother that used my car for a while. The only thing in my... I mean, there's an umbrella on... Shut up. There's an umbrella on my back seat. There you go. But that's it. and That's because it rained today. And I forgot to take it out when I got out but of the car. you zoom in on the thing. I even vacuumed the back part of my SUV. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you vacuum the back? Right? Anyway, zoom in on the details you care about. Fix the things you care about. But just make sure you're not setting yourself up to fail because it, it doesn't make sense to correct 
assert some like some inaccuracies and not correct others but then when you correct all of them you wind up in this situation where you've you've destroyed canon which would be like trying to make ncis make sense from a actual forensic science perspective or csi or whatever so the how much detail is too much um when when you're bored reading when when you don't want to edit it when boy, when you're so bored reading your own work that you don't want to edit it, you've added yeah. too much detail. And also, if it doesn't serve a purpose, it, does this detail serve a purpose, or is it just window dressing? And so, and, and some people, window dressing is a purpose, and that's fine. But not every place and every we, if you are an author who likes to describe stuff and you like to describe the scene and you like to describe the clothes, make sure you're zooming in on the scenes that are important. Because if you describe every scene, you're never going to actually tell a story. If you describe everything that everybody's wearing, we've all read that story, where every single person's entire wardrobe is, is described in every single scene. And the author thinks they're helping you visualize it, but what they're doing is you're not remembering that detail, right? You're not remembering that detail from when you get to the next chapter, you're not remembering. Um, you don't really care that Harry wore a blue sweater yeah. on Tuesday. Or that the secondary character was wearing, you know, olive-colored um, cargo pants. I mean, especially if the secondary, maybe a tertiary character is not even important. So if you're somebody who likes to give a lot of detail, make sure it's about the characters and about the things that matter. Maybe it really matters that Tony's wearing a suit that day. And maybe it really matters that he's wearing all black, including a black turtleneck. Because then I'd be going, is he about to break in somewhere? I mean, I'd want to know, why is he wearing all black? Is he going to a funeral? Why a turtleneck? Again, this is a, this is also the side, this is also the danger about putting in this kind of details. You might make your reader curious about something that doesn't matter. Because if he's dressed like that and he's not breaking in somewhere, I'm going to be real sad. <laughs> if there's not some armed robbery, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> there better be at least a B&E. <laughs> so, just just don't bore yourself. Don't try not to bore your reader. I mean, conceivably, you know what your audience is, so try not to bore them. And focus on the details that matter, and ignore the details that don't. Um, you want to try one more? Yeah, one more. Pit, you pick. There's three right now. Okay. These are all very good questions, guys. Let's go with. Let's go with Queenies because I think the other two could actually be full podcasts as far as like, um, what what we could yeah, do with them. That, that uh, and we'll add that, them to the, the list. Top one we could definitely feed into some other stuff about character work, but that last one, I'm really actually interested in that question too. So I think that it would be better as a okay. So um, <clears throat> Queenie asked, "How do you get an idea out of your head to flesh out? Like you have an idea, but you just can't push past the initial idea. Could you use that word idea one more time? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Assuming you don't have anyone to bounce your ideas with or a beta, how do you get it out of your head and onto the page? Um, well, the first thing I would do is cloud plot, which means I would take my initial idea and write it down on a piece of paper." Um, and then I would circle it. And then I would... Normally at this point, I would definitely know what fandom I'm in, right? So who are my fandom characters that, that I play with a lot? And then I would um, write them down and connect them to the idea. And then I would check the themes of my idea. Write those themes down. Is it redemption? Is it revenge? 
Is it is it a fix it? Is it a do over? Um, is it time travel? Is it soulmates? Is it sentinel? You know, where are my points? And I'll write those down and connect those to the central idea and to the characters as they apply. And then I look at my GMC for each one of my characters. What does character A need? Um, what are his goals, motivations, and his conflicts? What does character B need? What are his goals, motivations, and conflicts? What do they need? What do they want? What are my goals for my story? Where do I want my characters to end up? So, so my idea is, okay, let's, let's bounce a small idea. Just really small. Um, give me a small idea. <laughs> um, I, I, I just about throw out an idea, something we already wrote, so that doesn't help. Um, uh, John Shepard decides to propose to Rodney McKay. That's probably too much of a small idea. Okay. Um, That's evil, Kaya. Um, my next idea was a huge one, so that won't work. <laughs> okay, I saved the other questions that you guys wrote in our thing, and those will become full podcasts, I believe. This one actually probably could be too, as well. To be perfectly honest, I like that. Good, do darks, do darks. There's a darks. Okay, um, Randolph Rampart meet meets Gibbs because Tony has been injured. Um, okay, so Tony has been injured. Uh, first thing I'm going to ask myself is how? So attached to Tony's injury is Gibbs. And he's also attached to the how. Is Randolph Rampart the Commandant of the Marines? Yes, he is. Because he is. So and he's attached to Tony Marines. And through the Marines... He's attached to Gibbs. So the how of the injury. Let's go with case related. And after I get finished with this, I'm going to take a picture of it and post it in the link library. Case related. So what are our choices for cases? Um, we've got chained, um, boxed in. I think boxed in is a good choice. Um, uh, but, oh, Requiem. Requiem. That's the one where he saves Gibbs and the girl from the car, right? Yeah, because Gibbs is directly responsible for that because he didn't tell anybody what he was doing. And if Tony hadn't followed Gibbs anyway, out of just sheer stubbornness and loyalty, Gibbs would have gotten both of them killed. And realistically, Tony would have had compl complications from that all the breathing and all that water. Okay. So... I picked that one also because it's streamlined in terms of who, who's involved. Tim and Tim and Ziva aren't aren't involved. So okay, so I've got my major elements. I've got um, the hospital. Um, it happens in the events of Requiem. Um, who are my main players? Tony, Randolph, and Gibbs. Randolph and Gibbs are going to square off. Why are they squaring off? Because Randolph Rampart is Tony Dedozo's next kin. And after the events of Requiem. Tony goes home, gets really sick, and Randolph Rampart takes him to the hospital. Gibbs won't find out until Monday morning, or working day, whatever working day that is, and Tony doesn't show up for work because Rampart has called HR because Tony Dinozo's in the hospital. And so, this is how Gibbs finds out that 
I haven't picked um, the exact issue, but none but pneumonia could be a, a, a side effect. I mean, there's no telling what the fuck was in that water as far as that bacteria is concerned. He was at a lower lung capacity. He would have overtaxed himself severely. So it could be, you know, any number of things. I'd want to look up um, realistic complications that could result from that kind of uh, exertion from having lung scarring. <coughs> So probably pneumonia, but maybe not. It would just depend. Um, but I thought I was doing this on my own because the implication is that the person doesn't have a bounce bunny, a bounce buddy, or somebody to bounce off, you know, work with as a beta. So I'm doing this by myself. Um, okay. So the confrontation is going to happen because Randolph Rampart isn't allowing Tony Dinozo any visitors. He's ill. He wants him to get better. He's taking his cell phone. Tony doesn't want to deal with Gibbs, and so he's hiding behind Randolph Rampart's skirt. Go I was going to say skirt. Lean in. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> Considerable protection. Yeah, skirt. Kilt. Um, and, uh, and this is how Gibbs finds out that he's no longer Tony's next of kin. Number one, um, he no longer has um, any kind of say over what happens to Tony in the hospital. Uh, and um, that uh, Tony is in a long-term relationship with the Commandant of the Marine Corps. All very much news to him. So that's the, um, that's the initial plot. Let me take a picture of this and see if I can figure out how to get it from my phone to Discord. I don't. I know you use an Android, so I mean, there's. I know for me that you can. There's an option to like send it. Discord is one of the, one of the destinations for sending images. It's just built in, so I'm assuming it's probably the same in Android. But I don't know. Now my process is a little bit different from Kira's. Um, I usually start with what kind of story I want to tell, as opposed to the idea. Uh, sometimes I have an idea first, but usually if my story is like, well, what kind of story do I want to tell? So if I had had that, I'd be like, okay, I want to write a story where Gibbs and Rampart have it out because Gibbs, and, and at, at the time that Gibbs finds out that Tony and, and Rampart are in a relationship and they have it out because Gibbs has been negligent with Tony. And so I would know that that's the kind of story I want to tell. And then I would go back. So I have a really hard time a lot of times plotting when I don't know what kind of story I want to tell. So if I don't nail down my thematic elements, I struggle with the plot because it just feels very flat to me. Um, and that's why, that's why there's no right answer about how to plot or how to idea bounce is because it's sort of like when we did the idea bounce for the shifters, I knew I wanted to tell a story that was like, you know, you know, you know, woman positive. The women are running things; they're fixing shit. And I wanted to tell a redemption arc. I wanted to um, bring Victoria into a place where, you know, she was the matriarch of the Argent clan. Like she, she got in that lane and owned it. I knew that was the kind of story I wanted to tell. And the question was, how did I get there? And what plot devices and plot points? So I had a, I knew what, what the point of the story was going into that plotting session. And then the rest of it was working to that, to try to fulfill that kind of vision. 
Angela, you were right. I was able to send from my camera right to Discord. I just had to. I just had to find the right room. Yeah, you have to, you have to pick your room. Make sure you don't inadvertently send something to a chat that you don't. Um, so some people do this kind of thing better on the computer. They do the cloud plotting better on the computer. Some people do it better on paper. If I ever do anything like cloud plotting, which I do sometimes, while I like try to draw connections out. I always do it on paper. Always. I absolutely, for all that I don't ever write longhand, I almost never plot typing. I do it, I do it written out and then type it up. But everybody has a different process, right? So everybody has to find their, what makes them comfortable. Midnight Rosie finds knowing that my handwriting looks weirdly erotic, apparently. <laughs> that isn't the first time I've shared a cloud plot, she though. I did it on... Um, she said intimate. No. I'm sure she meant erotic. Intimate. <laughs> what she said... <laughs> It is half cursive and half um, half print because that is um, what happens to someone who um, learned cursive, wrote cursive forever, and then went to college. Yeah, I I, I half curse, half half print too. Um, so it's but you know they don't even teach cursive now. Yeah, they started taking out of school curriculums, and actually. We can use it as our secret language in the old folks' home, guys. But they've actually done studies <laughs> that talk about how learning cursive activates a different part of the brain that this stimulates um, learning, and it's probably not good we're taking cursive out. But in any case, so everybody has a little bit of a different when it comes to how do you get the idea out of your head. Um, and also, the other thing I'll throw out there is sometimes you need to talk it out, even if you don't have a bounce buddy, talk it out with yourself. Because hearing it, verbalizing it, the whole act, that activates your brain in a different way. And it will help you work through the idea, even if you're not talking to somebody. Yeah, even if I had not been on the podcast, I would have still been talking to yeah. myself. You just, you guys just listen to me do that. That's how I do that every time I do an idea. That's my cloud prop. I mean, if I listen to them in public, and then I try not to do that in public, because it's really frustrating not to be able to talk. Because you get weird looks. I mean, the the best thing I could, like, one of the best tips I could give anybody who wants to write is learn to get comfortable with reading your stuff out, talking to yourself, working your ideas out out loud. If you need to be able to verbalize your stuff, I mean, if you, if you can speak, I, you know, if anybody like has issues with being able to speak and, and I'm not, you know, you've got other ways to work on how to activate your brain differently. But if you can, if you're capable do it try it because it really does activate your brain differently but there's also your head voice if you purposely speak to yourself in your mind it's a lot different than thinking just 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 your regular think process if you're actually talking to yourself in your head it's different yeah true but we've said on other other podcasts that there is no more valuable skill for learning how to write dialogue effectively than to read your dialogue and hear what the fuck you're saying because I'm a there's sometimes yeah. I read some people's dialogue and I go if they had read that out loud this would not have cleared because that because it's, it's so awkward. awkward right it's like how that no, that would never come out of a human being's mouth it's like there's no way to put inflection on that where it doesn't sound anything but awful uh, awkward like people don't speak like that you know um so you know whether you're cloud plotting um just getting your ideas out 
onto something. So when I look at my little cloud plot, <laughs> see, um, when I look at my little cloud plot, I can see the themes already. Um, there is an established relationship. Um, there's a secret. Uh, there will be guilt. There will be anger. There could be some jealousy. Um, Tony will probably feel a little guilty and be angry about it, about being sick. Yeah. And he'd probably be like, you know, um, I, I imagine he'd be furious with Gibbs. Like, why? Why do you have to keep doing this stuff? Why do you have to go off? Why can't you trust anybody? Just because, you know, it's like, I think he would be so fed up. It's like his daughter, the name, it's like somebody rang the bell that had his daughter's name on it. And he just, Gibbs just turns into a fucking idiot. And I think he'd be just done. I, we have, we get to tease three plot. We get to tease, tease three podcasts tonight. We also have a plot drift plan for Tony Lee's after Requiem. Yeah, we do because <laughs> it is such a it's such a pivotal moment. What I I would be so dumb with this shit at that point. I'd have been dumb before that, but assuming he managed to make it through all the stuff up to that point, I'd have been like, I'm so fed up with you. As someone just mentioned, you know, your daddy issue, your 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 father daughter issues are just gonna kill us all, and I can't deal. I cannot deal. And I could just see him looking to his lover and being like, make this go away, please. I'm sick. I'm exhausted. I'll be a grown up tomorrow. I was a grown I was grown up as fuck yesterday. And I'm done. I'm done for the week. <laughs> I am done adulting. Will you please go deal with that asshole? And Rampart be just the kind of guy like, oh baby, I was just waiting for you to ask. But I also don't think he would waste his time on Gibbs. Rampart isn't the kind of character that would give Gibbs a a, a severe lecture. No. Because Rampart is the time but have a person to look Gibbs right in the face and go, look, you need to get the fuck out of my face. Well, he could walk up to him. And just look. And Gibbs would get the fuck out of his face. He could walk up to him and be like, do you know who I am, Gunny? Gibbs would be like, yes, sir, I do. He's like, Tony Genozo is my partner. And so I want you to understand why I have nothing to say to you right now. Okay. Goodbye. The fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah, I think he would. You know, Marines have a habit of, of, of using the Marine when they need it. Because there's no such thing as an ex-Marine. Um, and I think that when it comes to Gibbs, the best way to bring it home would be to call him Gunny. I want to show you guys something. Something I'm working on. This, this is a thick tease, guys. Hold on. Let me get it. Let me get it. What are you about to do? Something fun? Is it really going to be fun or am I going to cry? You're not going to cry? <laughs> Probably. That's a rough draft, so don't nitpick me, bitches. Okay. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> I already have art, too, because of course I do. Of course you do. Because <laughs> Jilly asked me to real nicely, and she should never have to beg for stuff. Because she did offer to beg, but that would be rude. <laughs> It's so pretty. <laughs> That's nice art, too. 
I love that. Thanks. A good I photo jet on she, the regular. Photo, photo jets for real fandom. Don't don't let her don't let her. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on PhotoJet. I, I, I make all the covers for the podcast on PhotoJet. I make all the art for my stuff on PhotoJet. So yeah, I mean, I'm at the part in the fic where it's the next day, and uh, Tony um, has been invited to have breakfast for with, with Rampart, and so he's over at Rampart's house having breakfast. Oh, that's just I. I don't. We we've just. Uh, I'm all in on this pairing. I I just. I gotta get some. I gotta get... It is a fluff bingo injury, and he really, he literally is just there for breakfast. He went home to his own house because Rampart didn't play in games. He's gonna want to keep Tony, so it wasn't a one night stand. It's not a one night stand. It's a beginning. Cause he's a fucking officer and a gentleman. <laughs> damn it! Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> Did you get bunnied? I hope so. Well, I already <laughs> had a little bunny for first kiss for them, but I'm not working on anything until um I, I'm not working on anything. I know you're you I know you bitches yeah. are busy. I need to be busy. I'm I'm not. I mean I need to. I probably need to bounce. I'm so close to down, dude. It's just I'm I'm down to the blowjob and it's just staring at me. <laughs> She's one blowjob blow away. away. And it's not just the blowjob though. I need to go back and reread because you know I did make that one error that I need to fix. Yeah. And, yeah. And ABD, an ABD ca- candidate going to classes. <laughs> I get to the end. I go, why did I do that? Whatever. I'll fix it. Um, but you know, it's just. So um, was that was was that helpful? What I did. Well, the person who asked the question isn't on right now, but we told her that um, Dark pinged her and let her know that we answered her question. Oh, oh, oh okay. It was Queenie's. Okay. Um. But it, whatever you do, um, find your process, whatever it is, and just keep trying different things until you find the one that gels for you. And um, the, what Kira did there is the beginning of her plotting process. But that could be, if you're a pantser, that could be your whole plan. And that is better than going in with no direction. In my opinion. Okay, this is all opinion. You you do you, boo. And by that I mean you do you, Lady Holder. <laughs> so, okay, earlier we were talking about how we would title something. Um, I need the connection to pen and paper. I do a lot of storyboarding and um, uh, idea creation and um, note taking in notebooks. The entire time I am on a podcast, I am writing in a notebook. It's just part of my process. It's been part of my process for 33 years. (laughs) So, I mean, I've never written anything that I didn't type, which is why I don't write long. Because I started writing when I was 12, and I got my first computer when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, like, if Margaret was still awake, good bed's way past her bedtime. Um, she probably had a computer when she was, you know, still not potty trained. But I got my first computer in 85. Nobody had computers at home back then. So I learned to type on a computer at the same time I started writing. So I never wrote anything in my life longhand. That's why I don't write longhand. 
I wrote on a typewriter, but I t- but I do idea construction yeah. on paper. But I do my zero draft um, also typing, obviously, because you guys wouldn't have access to what I've shown you if I didn't. Well, I take my plotting that I do in a notebook, and I take out the pieces of it that feed into my plot document, whatever that type is, and I type it up. Because I do like, most of the time, for that to be typed up. Um, but I type faster than I write neatly, so... It, it, yeah, I can't get my ideas out fast enough. So a title for this. Um, well, look at the themes. It's about resentment. And when, and when you've had enough. And when you're fed up. It. Oh, well, the title is Breaking Point. Now, as an example, if that was not perfect, let's say that I think that is a perfect title, but if that wasn't your perfect title and you're going, okay, thematically, what happens is Tony hits a breaking point with Gibbs and Rampart steps in. And okay, so what you could do is then take the word, you know, break point or breaking point or something like that. And you could just start Googling like synonyms for that or, you know, um, some sort of synonym for the theme of that to try to find a different word. Um, and that could be. If I was going to use the shatter, I'd probably use shattered ED um, as the title, not shatter point. Um, well, and that happens sometimes you want to put a long title that you then shorten down. Um, like if you had a title like, you know, a walk in the woods to find his, you know, his perfect love or something. And I've gotten people giving me doing art for people giving me titles like that. And I'm like, would a walk in the woods or his perfect love or something like that? Not like you need the whole thing. And, and sometimes it's, it's good. Sometimes I mean, you, you brainstorm a really long title and then you go, okay, well, what is the short title on that? If I had to give it. Because you need a short title for curb appeal. Um, a lot of times uh, when you're writing professionally, it, when you're writing short stories that are going to be in the anthology, pfft, they don't care how long your title is. But if you're looking at the cover of a book and you've got five or six words in your title, your publisher is going to ask you to shorten it or they're going to rename your book for you. And you may or may not get a say in that, by the way. Two to four words. Two to four. There's some great one-word titles, though. It's just with one-word titles, it's really hard to be... You, odds are there's with one word titles most of them there's 30 books out there with that title yeah and you don't count the word the now I mean, of course there are famous examples that are the exact opposite of that advice the girl with the pearl earring the girl with the dragon tattoo the girl kicked over a hornet's nest or whatever that story was or whatever but yeah so there are obvious exceptions to those rules well, but you gotta look at the curb appeal a series of unfortunate events. Limity skickets. But Harry, and, Harry Potter becomes you know. a series name. And not the actual. It, yes, it is Harry Potter and the whatever. But the actual title. We don't refer to the book by, as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. We refer to it as Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban. We don't use the full title. Because the series title is really Harry Potter. So. So I don't actually consider Harry Potter uh, an exception to the rule. Because you exempt the words Harry Potter. Because that's the. Yeah, the Englishman who went up a hill and down a mountain. Um, it's perfect, but it's also ridiculous. And the movie is and also ridiculous. perfect and ridiculous. So it works. 
<laughs> so there are exceptions to the rule, but you got to look at the curb appeal of your title. If it's going to be picture it on the cover of a book, the more words you want to put on the cover of your book, the messier and comp more complicated your cover is going to be. You're going to, it's going to obliterate your ability to have any kind of imagery on it. I mean, so just be mindful. And also when it comes to fandom, titles make your work stand out. If someone says ties that bind at Stargate Atlantis, who are they going to think of? If someone says NCIS and Emergence, they'll be like, she really didn't need dragons in that story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know why she had to write dragons in the story. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Race killers, Lady Raw. Yeah, and you don't even need the reference to the Phantom on that one. Um. So sometimes the title is everything in fandom. I will probably never see the word Blackbird again in my life without thinking of, of Iman Yeah, Dara. right? I can't even, honestly, I can't even think of Blackberries without thinking of that story. <laughs> I'm like, she's like, she fucking incepted me. Rose, I can't you've, even. Read, you've read Blackbird three times this week? Girl, do we need to get you some help? She doesn't need help. She needs more reading I know, material. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Have you read the the um the series? Not the Ruby one, but the other one. What's the other one? But this is this is an example. This is an example of where that other series is great too. The in dream, not ladders, not ladders, the in dream, not I can't remember what it's called. But Blackbird really stands out as a title. And the other book, I'm not criticizing her title at all, but it's just an example of how one title can kind of fade away because it's a little more generic. But Blackbird was so punchy and it was so... What, what dreams? It was, yeah, the Sugar Daddy one. Um, but Blackbird, it was so integral to the story and it just sticks with you. And that, oh, the moment when he said, when he used it, when he said Blackbird, I was just... I was all in. But, but we remember, oh, yeah. but when you're talking about an impactful title, there's not that what dreams is not an impactful title title, but when you think about it compared to Blackbird contextually to the story, because relevance to the story also matters, right? So Blackbird is so relevant to that mm -hmm. story, but what dreams, um, it, it works, but it, it, it's a little bit more obscure. So, I mean, so if you say, Hey, have you read Ebon Shares Sugar Daddy Fig? They'll be yes. <laughs> Yes, right, I have. <laughs> exactly. But you might not recognize it. Have you read the What Dream story? You might go, which one? But somebody says Blackbird. So that's just like the difference between... They're both fine titles. And like I said, I'm not critiquing her choice. I'm just saying that Blackbird is super impactful. It is perfect. It is perfection right. in the title. Um, it's like boom. It was like boom. It was like, what? <laughs> and honestly, I'll rem I, I will remember Taken for Rubies better than the What Dreams, because What Dreams is a title I've seen before. I've never seen Taken for Rubies before. So it sticks with me, and also because Rubies are relevant in the story. So that sticks with me too. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know. But sometimes, honestly, sometimes the, the truth of the matter with titles is... If, if, if it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be super impactful, make it short. Okay. Depending on the author in fandom, you if, if, if I say Lady Raw, some of you are going to say Race Killers. 
while other uh, um, others of you would probably say that verse where he talks to animals or loving around the cavity or um yeah so depending on your fandom experience if you say my name to um a harry potter fan depending on their pairing choice it's gonna probably be uh birth of the serpent king or harry potter i think you have a bigger harmony shipper fandom so i would say that most people are going to go to Harry Potter and Bond. I would go to Harry Potter. I mean, uh, the Birth of Serpent King. Um, so, and if you look at an author like um, uh, Estefi, first thing I think of is Fair Trade, which is her coffee shop AU. Um, if you're bloody minded, Darkly Loyal might be the first thing you think of with Kira. You know. <laughs> Although my my favorite um, hero story actually is the legacy, so but darkly, but I still would think of Harry Potter and the Birth, of, I mean not Harry Potter, Birth of the Serpent King first because it was the first story, Harry Potter story that I read of hers, and uh, I didn't like the ship before a ship, a story that makes me convert a ship, con- you know, get on board with a ship. <laughs> the ship conversion is a very impactful moment. The moment you go, I'm not all, I'm not into that, and then you go, Oh yes, I am into it. You remember that story. You go, Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna tell you an embarrassing story. I read a story on Wraith Bait, and it was like super fucking inspiring. And at the same time, I was. Um, if you tell me it was your story, I'm just gonna. No. Um. That would be really embarrassing also, but not the same kind of embarrassment. Okay, so I am actually in a Yahoo group, and I need um, a... Um, I'm in the midst of noodling what might have been and Sentinels of Atlantis. And I've just finished The Awakening. And this lady on the Yahoo group offers to beta The Awakening. And I'm like, great, thanks. And I send it to her. I said it to somebody else too, and that have her pass it around to all of her friends. But, anyways, okay. So several months passed, and this this lady, she baited a lot of stuff for me. And then one day I'm working on Sentinels of Atlantis, and I wanted to go over to Wraith Bait and read the inspiration for Wraith Bait. And that's when I connected the title with the author who was my beta. And of course, that story is The Unlikely and the Unwilling by Lady Holder. Because the title had stuck with me, but the name had fallen off. It's a good title. If I was a Dragon Riders of Pern reader, I think her name would have stuck in my head forever, right? When I first saw it. But I, I didn't even know what Lady Holder meant at the time. I was like, why the hell's her name that? But then I moved on because, you know... I was there for the story, right? And I kept this shit to myself <laughs> for quite a long time because I was embarrassed that I did not make the connection between this woman on Wraith Bait who'd written this really awesome Sentinel Guide story where John was a Sentinel, which is what I'd been looking for, and the person who was baiting my work. Um, it is easy to pronounce. Someone else is going to have to explain the Pern reference. Um, in, in the, it's, the Lord Holder is actually more, I, I don't think the Lady Holder is mentioned much in Pern, but they're, the Lord Holder should be a familiar reference. The people who owns the places where the Dragon Riders are, or where the Dragon Riders are protecting, or, oh, 
well, then you don't get any better than I do, so don't worry about it. <laughs> let it go, yeah, Hurst. Right. Let it it's go. It's just the person who's the leader of the hold, right? Um, but the and the lady holder was the wife of the lord holder. And lady holder is actually a very big fan of Dragon Rider's Pern, which is why on Facebook her her last name is McCaffrey. Live and learn. <laughs> I, was, I see you midnight. I thought of the Lord Holders as being like um, mayor ish, but also Lord of the Manor kind of thing. It's like a cross between mayor and I don't know. That's kind of the way I, a duke. Okay, kind of like a duke, but kind of. But they were also kind of a government. I thought they kind of like had like a governmental kind of role thing. Um, so more duchy than dukedom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there was to me there were I always it's been a long time since I've read Pert, but I always just had like an association like a mayoral kind of association to it. City state ruler, okay, fair. The Thane, they're like the Thanes. There you go. They were in charge. They were like- <laughs> so what that tell you about Lady Holder, everybody? <laughs> that she likes to be in charge. Um, and she's a big Anne McCaffrey fan. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, connections and the ones that you make in fandom um, are everything and they really enrich your life and in really interesting ways. And I will forever associate now Lady Holder with um, the unlikely and the unwilling. And I would like to point out in a very selfish fashion before this podcast ends that the first offering next year in Year of the Sentinel is an established relationship. I just want to say, if you don't permanently associate Alex Shepard with me, if you see an Alex <laughs> Shepard in the story and you don't think of me, I'm going to be sad. Like, all of you bitches. I'm going to be sad. Oh, we're going to, like, have Hannibal eat your face. <laughs> Can't eat your face off. <laughs> um, but, uh, also, speaking of that, uh, there's, like, how much more time do people have to sign up? It's a matter of minutes, right? Um, it's oh, over. I mean, it's, it's, it's still late. But I haven't taken it down yet. So if you've not signed up and you forgot, you need to haul ass over there before I close the comments. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's not even midnight. It's not midnight yet where I am. It's certainly not midnight yet in Hawaii. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could wait till tomorrow. Morning, to do it. morning. Let's, let's, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, I'll probably be asleep. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but um. Although I could see, like, if she closed, I, I know, Kara, like, if you close comments tonight and somebody, like, wrote you and said, hey, it's not even midnight yet in Hawaii and I haven't signed up yet, you'd be like, motherfucker, you get to do this one time. One time. <laughs> the next time. Okay, it was one more time. I have actually never turned down a single person who did not realize, they realized they had missed the date and contacted me to sign up late. I have never told a single person no. I probably would take you all the way up to the 25th. But if you... Oh, that's the other thing. You got 10 days, babies. So you got 10 days to um, do project files, and you got 15 days to sign up for the Quantum Bang as an author. Yep. We're getting very close. I am seven. I, I am 18K into my Quantum Bang. Bragging is ugly, Kira. <laughs> that's not bragging. Actually, it is, and I'm super proud of myself. <laughs> Good for you. I'm very, not sorry. I'm very happy Hashtag. for you you're, and, you're, and you're not sorriness. Hashtag not sorry. Anyways, 
Hope you guys have a fantastic week and this was very beneficial to you. And I know I haven't I have a podcast that I have not edited that needs to go up. I am aware. <laughs> I will get to it. And um that's all I got. You got anything else? We done our dates. I think we're good. I think, I think we're, we're good. good. I will say this will throw this out there. If you do not sign up for the quantum bang, but for some reason you manage to make significant progress on a quantum bang type story during nano that you are not posting publicly, and you get in touch with me and say, Look, I didn't think I did was gonna, but I did. I'm gonna let you sign up. So just bear that in mind. Don't stop writing just because you didn't sign up. I would never want signing up to be the gate. So, but we are technically signups are going to close. Right. Partially just so I can take the fucking form down, not have people filling it in. Um. <laughs> so, anyways, if you guys have any questions um, for future podcasts, just put them in the ask the question thing. And um, I think we shall catch you later. Second night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>